My name is Joe Gooch and I'm an actor in the UK and an experiencer of a lot of weird stuff over the years. And I was a guest on Paratopia and uh, one of Jeff's solo shows, Paranormal Waypoint. And when I was thinking about what I was going to say as a tribute to Jeff, he, Jeff was for me my Paranormal Waypoint in that whenever there was a new case or some new evidence, some film or photos, I wanted to hear what Jeff's take on it was because you knew you were going to get deep insight. He was, I think, in a unique position in being um, a lifelong experiencer as well as an expert image analyst. So I think with Jeff, you've got a unique take there with both the experience and knowledge because he'd been in the field for so long and that expertise as well as having a great BS detector. So uh, you knew that Jeff would call out BS and nonsense when he saw it. And in this field, you need that because there's a lot of that going on. I also appreciated Jeff's honesty in how he spoke about his own experiences when he spoke about his uh, Shroudman experiences. Um, that cost Paratopia a lot of listeners. It was quite controversial, but he spoke his truth. And that was it. You can't, if you're going to speak about what's going on in your life in you know, the paranormal field, you've got to speak about it as it is. You can't dress it up or ignore some bits because you might think they're a bit weird, you know, which some people do. You know, they say, oh, it's outlier data, some of these weird things. Well, how can there be any outlier data in something as bizarre as paranormal experiences? And I knew Jeff had a great sense of humor, and I, I appreciated how much he was amused by my bizarre tale of when I got rained on by hazelnuts. And uh, <laughs> because like a lot of things that, I mean, where do you put that in the paranormal realm of phenomena? It's such a bizarre, ridiculous, outrageous thing, which, you know, <laughs> you wouldn't, you wouldn't, if you were talking about experiences, you know, UFOs or whatever, you probably would think, hmm, maybe I won't speak about the uh, getting rained on by, by hazelnuts, but Jeff appreciated that. And, yeah, I appreciated his honesty. Um, I appreciated Jeff's uh, friendship. We never actually got to meet in person, unfortunately, although he did speak in 2019 about possibly coming to the UK in 2020, and we were going to meet up then. But sadly, events uh, made that not happen, unfortunately. But, you know, I would have loved to have sat down with Jeff and had a few beers. He was definitely someone who you could, uh, you'd want to sit down with and... Uh, have a few beers, never laugh with, and uh, you know, have a good chat with. Uh, so it's a shame that won't that won't happen. But um, I've got a lot of good memories, and I appreciate Jeff for what he did in the field. And like I say, his friendship. We did a lot of silly things as well. We, uh, uh, me and him, both uh, went in buying some uh, Powerball lottery tickets. Obviously, Powerball in America that goes. Uh, I think the jackpot was something like, I don't know, $800 million or something. So uh, I suggested we go halves in, and we did, and bought some tickets. Sadly, we didn't win. But, uh, yeah, we did things like that. I, he had an experience where he took a a um, crystal that he had buried in his garden, and he touched it to his forehead. And he that night, him and Lisa, his wife, had some weird experiences with a being in the bedroom with a bald head and stuff, and that kind of freaked him out, and he never wanted to touch it again. But I really wanted Jeff to send me that crystal so I could do an experiment and touch it on my my forehead and see if I had any experiences. I thought that would be a great 
a great little, you know, little paranormal experiment to do. And uh, Tyler Coke John got involved as well. And we're trying to convince Jeff to send that to me, but sadly he didn't want to touch it. But he did send me a, a video of w- where it was in his garden um, underneath uh, the Buddha. But uh, yeah, he didn't want to touch it again, which is a shame because I would have loved to have uh, got that and touched that on my forehead and seen if a seed <laughs> and uh, seen if anything happened. But uh, yeah, when I think about Jeff, um, it's all, it's all, it, it's all good. It's all positive. It brings a smile to my face. Jeff, one of the insights which I still carry with me to this day, Jeff said that when we think of the afterlife, you know, the heavens, we think of it somewhere far away. The heavens, obviously, high up, far, far away. But he he said something that resonated with me as as a truth, and he said, "If you want to know where the afterlife is, just point your finger. It's there. It's." It's that close, closer than we realise. And I, that really gave me a lot of comfort um, when I was experienced a family bereavement, and it still does today. And I know that wherever Jeff is, he's closer than we realise. And uh, I definitely felt his presence the other day. I was, uh, when I was thinking about what I was going to say in my tribute to Jeff, I was thinking about when paranormal uh, Paratopia Oculus was coming. And Jeff wanted some music for the uh, for the titles, and he asked me to write a, a an instrumental for it, which he was going to add some guitar to. So I, I wrote a – he wanted a communion-like, you know, the music from communion, that sort of ethereal soundscape. So I wrote something um, similar as, to the, as best as I could, and then uh, Jeff was going to put some guitar on, which he did. He did like a solo. But then he also added a five-note melody – at the beginning and several times throughout, which completely elevated the whole thing and took it to a whole new, a whole new place. That was just, it was just amazing. And I, it was only a few days ago because like, this was like, I don't know, four, five years ago now, is it six, maybe? Um, I only, it was only a few days ago. I realized that the melody he'd written, which went, those notes, it had the same amount of notes as the syllables in Paratopia. <laughs> and it suddenly, it's like I felt Jeff's presence and I felt him saying, you get it now? You get it now? So, oh, yeah, okay, I finally get it. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> so even even now, even though he's not physically here, he's still being my paranormal waypoint and pointing me in the right direction, so I appreciate that. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Jeff is remembered appreciated and loved always his his insights his sense of humor his honesty his creativity his art is just fantastic as you all know incredible digital artist as well as an incredible uh, physical artist I remember him doing some live streams i remember watching one of him painting yoda and it's just just incredible he was he was tuned in he was tuned in he was tuned into that creativity and that, uh, that creativity which folds in to paranormal. A lot of creative people do have paranormal experiences and it is intertwined. And Jeff spent his whole life searching for answers to do with his paranormal experiences and other paranormal experiences. And I take some comfort in the fact that one, he's closer than we realize and, and two, He's now got the answers. He's now found what he was searching for. And 
I get the impression he's laughing his ass off. <laughs> so, uh, Jeff, you are always remembered um, with great humour and laughs and and a lot of love and appreciation. So, cheers, Jeff. Although we never met physically in this world, I'll see you in the next one. Cheers, mate. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called strife. Eclectic word strife, it means something stressful, something uh, kind of ouchy, something that hurts. But I'm here to tell you, there is something else. Paratopia. Crap, Jer. Jer. Oh, mom, mom, Wake up. mom, mom. Wake up. Uh, what, Jer? Uh, what are we doing a show about? Uh, how about something we know? Like, uh, um, how about us? Oh, I know me. Aloha, Peritopia. It's been too long? It's been long. Uh, this is another not ye old Peritopia, but brand new Peritopia special released on what was Jeff's favorite holiday, Halloween. Not coincidentally. Um, so, we're going to remember Jeff. We're going to have special guests. And uh, we're, I guess, the royal we're. I am going to uh, tell you a little campfire story. A little something that happened to my wife, Carol, and me um, a few weeks ago. That uh, while not containing a UFO is in fact the story of ufology. So be sure to listen closely. Uh, before we get going here, I just want to say right up front, thank you everyone who's been um, listening to ye old paratopias, new and old audiences alike. Um, I'm glad you've been enjoying them. I've been hearing from some of you. Um, I will be, of course, doing more Our Undoing Radio uh, seasons on this feed when I get around to recording them. But, uh, oh yes, the hardest working man in podcasting gets harderest working, Uriest. I've got another project I'm doing. You are now looking at, or more likely listening to, the new host of Dreamland with Whitley Strieber. Oh, yes, ladies and germs. I will be hosting that show the fourth uh, Friday of every month, um, which is another reason I didn't want to put out a ye old Peritopia last Friday because it was actually my first gig as host of Dreamland. So we announced it the week prior when I was a guest uh, with Whitley on his show. And then Friday uh, was my first. My, my first. So please, won't you join me? Go on over to Dreamland after this, and um, it's also a video on YouTube, so you can watch it there. So, yay! Look at me taking over the internets. Um, hold on, I'm, I'm going to wait for I'm going I'm to bask in the glow and wait for the applause. Wait, there it is. Thanks, everyone. Um, my my goal on Dreamland really, um. It, dream, doing Dreamland is about the only thing that could drag me back into, into pure paranormal podcasting. Um, 
because I feel like it's such a large audience that I now get to talk to that uh, I now have the ability to bring to a lar- that large audience um, new voices, fresh voices, sincere voices on a whole host of topics. Um, because I was doing the experience there on uh, unknowncountry.com, and that was talking to experiencers. But as you know, Dreamland is more than talking to experiencers. It's like whatever magical, mystical thing there is in the universe, well, we're going to talk about it. Uh, so I want to talk about them in new ways and honest ways. And I also want to be able to expose new voices and promote people, you know, we've never heard of, uh, in, in these here fields, new, new people. So if you have suggestions, you can always write to me, Jeremy at unknowncountry.com and I will, um, I will take your suggestions for topics and guests. If there's anyone out there who you think uh, needs a, a spotlight shown upon them, um, let me know. I mean, if you're an older listener of this show or of me, then you know my sensibilities already. If you're new, uh, you know, don't send me crap. <laughs> that's that's really the only rule. Okay. Um, speaking of don't send me crap... I uh, just recently, which is why I was on Dreamland, released a new book called Aliens, The First and Final Disclosure. And I do hope you run to Amazon and pick it up. It's in paperback. It's on Kindle. Some have called it. I didn't say this, but, you know, people have said it. It's the best book of mine they've ever read. Maybe you'll agree. Who knows? It's essentially me going back to my roots and calling myself an alien abductee um, for the benefit of those who just joined ufology in 2017 because of the uh, New York times and I guess New Yorker articles. Uh, And now they like call things UAP and uh, like the Lou Elizondo is like a famous person in this now, you know, for the people who love Lou Elizondo or Jeremy Corbell or UAP and are like back to the to trying to draw this subject, unfortunately and unwittingly, because they're new. It's not their fault, but draw it back to a nuts and bolts military disclosure based phenomenon. Singular. This is my answer to that. I will take up the mantle. I will go back to to my roots as one who believed that when I was a kid too. Until I grew up. Maybe I grew up wrong. Maybe I've been wrong all these years. Let's find out. So I wrote a book as an alien abductee. And by the end of it, of course, I'm sure you can guess, um, I show why I can't be an alien abductee. But I I don't uh, just do that. I also replace your coffee with Folgers crystals. I, I, I take away, boy, I just dated myself there, didn't I? Uh, yes, I take away the, the alien, but I do, uh, offer you an alternative theory and uh, also I, I roast ufology a lot so that's fun but I hope that the whatever the deep stuff is in there doesn't in the beginning of the book especially um, because the last part of the book is just a lot of depth stuff but the beginning is a lot of uh, making fun of stuff but also there's depth and I hope the depth doesn't get lost I don't think it does um, from what I've seen so far, uh, but of, of reactions to the book, I mean, but you know, 
I do always fear when I make the jokes that the serious stuff is lost in the humor um, or in the anger people feel that I'm trying to make humor (laughs) out of serious stuff. Anywho, uh, that is all of that. And now let's gather around the campfire, kids. Let's get our s'mores, cuddle up, or don't cuddle up. I don't know. Is that uh, harassment? Don't just don't touch anything. Jeff would have loved this story. Uh, I wish I wish he were here for me to call him up with it and have a laugh or a cry. But uh, a few weeks ago, I was putting the ducks to bed. That's not a euphemism for anything. We actually have eight ducks, um, and they they come and get me when they're ready to go to sleep, usually around 5 p.m. And uh, ducks are the best, I got to say. If you could ever have one animal around, ducks are the best. They tell you when they want snacks, they come and get you to put them to bed. <laughs> it's not like chickens where you got to, like, chase them around and stuff. They're very orderly. They've, they even walk in, a, in single file. They're adorable. Uh, but so usually, you know, they come and get me. But this day they didn't. Oh, no. So I just went out like normal to um, I fill up their their waters. They have a, a cage in the middle of um, electric poultry netting. So they've got a pretty at night. We put them in there at day and day. They they're free roaming ducks. And at night they have a pretty large uh, swath of land to pitter patter about. Uh, behind electric poultry netting so that they're safe. And then there's an open cage with a couple of dog houses where they can feel even safer if they want and uh, lay eggs and all that. So they got the good life. And I go in and I I fill up their waters and then I bring them their dinner and then uh, put them away. And that's what I was doing. And I saw them because, like I said, usually they come and get me to put them away and they didn't. So they were standing like by the door of their run and uh, looking at the berm, as my neighbor likes to call it, which is like this, I don't know, sort of raised lava wall, natural formation with some trees and stuff around it. And they were staring there at the, the brush and the trees and the whatever. And, you know, if they're scared and they're like petrified scared, they'll stand like statues. And they weren't really doing that, but they were standing upright and they were sort of bobbing their heads, like looking around, kind of alert, but maybe confused. I don't know. And whatever it was, they were not, they were locked onto it. So like when they saw me and when I walked by them, they didn't care. Like they were, they were doing that, (laughs) which is completely abnormal for them. But I got to say, I felt it too. I felt it the whole time I was out there. And it felt like, and I said this to Carol when I came in, I said, you're not going to believe this, but I mean, I, it felt like we were being watched by aliens, like not just being watched. It felt like the proximity feeling of aliens. It's really eerie out there. Like it was kind of scary. It's like, I know I'm being watched. I don't know by what. And I said, you know, maybe an owl, but I looked around. I didn't see one. An owl has never given me that feeling before. In fact, we were in a state park once uh, a couple of years ago, 
And I could, I just felt intuited or whatever that we were being watched and that we were being followed. And we kept going on our little hiking trail anyway. And then we heard um, a pig oink, like a wild boar. And so we were like, okay, we're out. (laughs) So we turned right around. I threw Carol to the boar and I ran. Uh, This was not even that type of like, kind of anxious, scary feeling. This was aliens. This was like, there's a predator here and it does not belong. That's kind of the feeling, I I guess, roughly. Um, With the boar, it's like, I I don't belong. We shouldn't be out here. We're in its territory. And this was like, oh, something else. Um, I haven't really felt that in a really long time. I mean, I guess the closest... Honestly, uh, I don't, you know, make of this what you will, but the closest I felt to that was uh, around the time Jeff died, um, the feeling of proximity. Uh, And before that, I don't think I felt it since I lived in New York. I don't think I've felt it, you know, in the 10 years that I've been here. I don't think I can remember correctly. Um. And that's including having had weird experiences here. It's They still didn't evoke that. Heratopia, it is my great thrill to welcome the host of Lukes of Hazard. No, sorry. UFO Classified, Erica Lukes. Welcome to Peritopia. That Lukes of ha- Hazard, I like that. And I, thank I, you for having me. <laughs> yeah, I wish I wish that had been it. But <laughs> <laughs> me too. Maybe I need to change. Uh, I'm actually I'm sad that you um, weren't on the show when Jeff Ritzman was with us because I think we would have had a dynamic conversation. But perhaps we'll have our own dynamic conversations in the future. Um, this won't be that. This will be a two dimensional conversation. <laughs> I, I know. I just I miss him. He was such a good. Good human being, a really wonderful, kind-hearted uh, person, and I, I know everybody misses him. Yep, uh, that is the truth. So, what's interesting to me now, as I as I get older, um, is I feel as though I have less that I want to say in this, you know, uh, mm-hmm. but. Still, I persist, and I feel like at this point, maybe it's time to just promote other people and to promote projects that are good, because I spent so long complaining about ufology and paranormal uh, research and the such that, hey, let's replace it. (laughs) Let's do something here. And it seems as though you're way ahead of me. So you've got got UFO Classified, which is quite a popular project. podcast, I guess, although it's probably also a really popular YouTube show. Right. It's fun. And, but now you're also venturing into uh, research territory in some way with, with Jack Brewer of UFO blog uh, or I'm sorry, thinking UFO blogspot.com, but it's UFO trails. Um, so tell us about that. What, what, what the hell are you two up to? Oh, wouldn't the world like to know? Dun dun dun! No, <laughs> it's um. I am excited. I think I've I have really respected Jack's work for a long time, and we have uh, talked a little bit about what we would like to see in a positive way and how to move things forward. Because I think for all of us, and it sounds like from what you just said, you're kind of in the same boat that I I feel Jack and myself and other people are. You get to the point where 
you look at everything and you just go, what is going on here? Because this is, it's like the, uh, you know, the who's getting out of the clown car today yeah. kind of thing. And there isn't a lot of things that are based in, in reality or, or we're not seeing things, people that are practicing good protocols. And there's also for me, which is something that I'm very adamant about is, is the historical preservation, which right now to me, it seems like you've got a handful of people or organizations that are sweeping up really important information. And if that isn't put in good places and, and placed in good hands so the public can have access to that, there is a real potential that the entire history of the subject will be re- rewritten by some of the people that we see who are the spokespeople for quote unquote ufology today. And so, so, so yeah. what is it uh, that you're tr- trying to preserve? Like what, is there a sp- specific subset of um, ufological, I don't know, culture that you're trying to preserve or is it like everything from contactees to abductees to UFO sightings to Bigfoot? I mean, is it everything? You know, I mean, it, it's, it is more, I mean, as fun as the Bigfoot uh, stuff would be, and I'm not going to turn that down because I think it's, it's fascinating, but it does, you know, I'm, I'm interested in UFO case reports. I'm interested in the work that researchers have done and are donating, um, which is really critical. You know, I've got a wonderful archive here that I've, I've had for 10 years now, and I just, was graciously given, donated the Andruffle files. And so you've got, you know, five decades of abduction research of, you know, I mean, investigating UFO cases, correspondence between members of NICAP back in the 60s and and all of these these things. And so preserving all of that and then also understanding that there is an important, you know, I'm not here to to solve, and I don't think anybody ever will solve the UFO riddle. Um, my goal isn't to find the smoking gun. Uh, my goal is to preserve the integrity of a person's work so people can look back and say, okay, wait a minute, perhaps this researcher was influenced by politics, by religion. These are organizations that were funded by certain people. These are the, the correspondence that to me are really eye-opening between different researchers like Anne you know, Druffel and, and Major Donald Kehoe people, figures like that, or Jacques Vallée, those are really telling and important correspondence that need to be preserved so we can step back and and see the subject for kind of a a more important way. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, that's actually kind of interesting to me. I I hadn't thought about that, but I mean, it sounds like what you're, you're saying that you it's not just their research that you want to archive, but really their communications amongst each other. And then maybe you could even parse out um, like if someone is in the military versus someone who has an agenda that we all know about, or someone who may be in this for, you know, altruistic reasons, <laughs> let's <laughs> say, and, and plus whatever, you know, their own theories are or were at the time. Like how those, what, come together, try to influence each other? I mean, I guess there's a lot of things that you could look at. Are you looking to look at those things or are you simply? Okay, so you are. So you want to sort of almost examine the researchers. Yes. And I I think an examine and also, you know, for me, when, when when somebody donates their, their research, it's important for me to preserve their legacy. 
And my dear friend, Gordon Lohr, who passed away, he was the secretary for NICAP back in the 60s. And uh, he graciously donated his his work to me as well. And so those those are people that are special for me. And you've got a lot of young people that are coming into the subject. And they have never even heard of Gordon Lohr or the contributions that he made or his friendship with Dr. James McDonald and some of the things that went on behind the scenes. And so I want to not only preserve the history and look at it so I can try to put pieces of the puzzle together, but then also to, so, so people, the public remembers the contributions that these people have made and, and real sacrifices, because as you know, people sacrifice their, their jobs. Sometimes they sacrifice personal relationships and it can be very, uh, a, a strain on researchers. Yeah. And I, I also wonder now, as I'm thinking about this, I mean, there are researchers that have different um, theories as to what this stuff is and, and even how broad a scope they should be looking at. And I, I would be interested to know if if they had any influence at all on each other or if at some point they just stopped talking to each other or they just start sort of being socially polite, but not actually influencing each other. Like how is it that the ETH can survive when uh, there are certain researchers who started off, for instance, believing that it was, you know, there were aliens here and then ended up thinking like, no, there's something even more strange going on or even less strange going on. Um, how, how are they, if they're all buddy, buddy, how are they not influencing each other? How is it that the ET thing is so strong outside of the obvious answer of like, well, it's a cottage industry. You know, that's a great question. And as you know, we've seen, you know, I mean, a a dozen or so people over the decades that have had a lot of sway and influence over the subject. And, you know, you can feel their influence, you know, starting back in the seventies with put off and, and, uh, you know, Targ and uh, Jacques Vallée and, and people like that. And they, you know, over the years, you know, you've got somebody that's promoting this idea or that idea. And when, you know, it, it, it's just, it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting to see their influence. And then, you know, you go to different conferences and things or see people on, you know, with their YouTube shows. And it's, it would appear that a lot of these people are being influenced by a specific uh, group of people with a motivation. I'm not sure what that motivation is, if it's genuine, uh, a genuine interest in the subject or if it's a, a way to steer the population or the narrative. It's, it, these are all fascinating questions to me. And I think the more I dig into it and examine people, their histories, their connections, and the way the subject has gone over the years, the more I'm, I'm just blown away and it, it pulls me further in. Hmm. Now you used to be affiliated with MUFON. I don't know. Did you work for them or were you a volunteer? I was a, I was the Utah state director and back in the days of my, when I was dewy-eyed and, <laughs> you know, fresh in the subject. Uh, and then I also worked uh, for the communications department and I was trying to, and this was all volunteer, but I wanted to, because when I joined MUFON, I saw a lot of, you know, it, it was not a, it's a lot of older people in the subject. And it wasn't, in my opinion, it wasn't something that was really reaching out to a younger generation. Mm. And, you know, if you went to their website, it looked like an old man, like an old, 
Like that's that's what stuns me is like this is a subject of youth, you would think. Yes. And yet you go to these conferences and, uh, you know, it's cocoon. No offense, anyone, but uh, <laughs> it kind of yeah. is. Love that movie. Yeah, no, it, it, I mean, it, it's, it is, it is interesting. And you seriously, you're, you know, you're looking around and it's like, oh, okay. And that, that there's, I have to say that some of my best friends in the world are, you know, some of these older uh, researchers in the subjects and I really value them, but it's like, I felt that we needed to be giving a younger generation who was excited about the subject, giving them tools to investigate and, and creating like a, you know, program. And I really wanted to do just a video series on the MUFON, you know, page where it's like, okay, here's this app. You can use this to identify A, B, C, and D. Here's how you check flight, you know, traffic. This is where you go to learn about the latest drone technology and put things through the, the paces to give the public empowering ways that they could, okay, you, you see a light in the sky instead of an investigator saying, you know, you stupid idiot, that was Mars. You're, you're saying, that's really cool. You were looking up and now let me give you five tools that will enhance that and make it a fun process for you. And so that was kind of my goal uh, there. And that wasn't, you know, that I found out very quickly that there were certain people in, in MUFON that just didn't, that wanted to be popular, uh, that didn't want things to advance unless they had, you know, a, a role in it. And thing. it was just very strange. It was like being in yeah, not even high school. It was like being in junior high. And I was just like, whoa, we're supposed to be here together. This is something that should be a, a joy, you know, and it's just a cool process. And it's it really turned into being anything but. And that was my first real experience of dealing with some of the the darker sides of of ufology well is that darker side um organized or is that just human nature in some way you know i think it's a little of both okay so here's uh, i i was listening to ufo classified probably your last episode or the one before uh where you were talking about you had mentioned that jay-z knight Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Had used to, who was a channeler of uh, what? Ramtha, Ramtha alcohol, yeah. something. <laughs> but, All she, of the above. <laughs> but she also racism, something. But she also used to uh, fund MUFON, right? Or gave she money was one to one of MUFON. the donors. Yep. What do you think? I don't know that you have an answer for this, but maybe you do. I don't know. What do you think someone like, like a spirit channeler, um, granted it was an alien channel, but what do you think someone like that gets out of funding MUFON? Like you don't give money to MUFON unless you get something for it. It's clearly she isn't into the research like in any real way. So what do you think she got out of that? You know, that's a really, really great question. I don't, I do not know. Um, and I mean, for all we know, she had access to the database. Why stop with Bigelow? <laughs> huh. you know? Well, and, I mean, did she go to MUFON conferences? You know, I don't know that. I, huh. I That would be fascinating to to find out if she did and i'll have to do some asking around about that but it, it is an interesting why why would she be involved in that i know that i had had heard uh, secondhand that jan was uh that jan had met with her jan harzan and you know what they were part of that funding process i don't know i do, i don't know and i think it is interesting that you know how transparent is mufon with the people that are funding them when the John Venturi scandal happened, that was a good one for the memory books. But yes. you know, there was a 
you know, a few people that were kind of digging into to MUFON and the donors behind the scenes, and they kind of shut that down pretty quickly. Um, and and so who knows what what's going on behind the scenes? But for a nonprofit, transparency is is something that should be, you know, a, 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 that it, you need to be transparent when you're operating a nonprofit. So when when you uh, were in MUFON, were you thinking that this was extraterrestrial? You know, I probably I did. I mean, I thought I I bought it all hook, line, and sinker. I'm just like, okay, we're gonna go out and do the CE five meditations and communicate with the mothership. And you know, I was very much you know I was I was reading the books by Whitley Strieber. I you know that was back in my my younger days when I was reading you know Bud Hopkins and Communion and all of these things. And so it you know I had this thought in my mind: yes, this could maybe be possible. And then you see something that you can't explain and you get caught up with a group of people who are telling you, you know, saying this is the benevolent space brother from, you know, Nerubu or wherever we're coming from and and things. And you can really go down that rabbit hole, which I did for a time being, but then every, every bit of my gut just said, you need to, to pull back. And so I've gone through a lot of and very public learning experiences of I it. Mean, everybody has seen the path I've been on and I've I have endorsed some things that I look back and go, oh wow, that's awkward. Hmm. <laughs> you know, the skinwalker ranch stuff and, and things like that. And so it's been a learning process, but I definitely for me now, I don't think there is, you know, there is where is the the proof, uh the tangible evidence that we are being visited by extraterrestrials. I don't I don't see it. But yeah, Certainly and where's, making people money. <laughs> well, and maybe in in your research too, you'll you'll come to like, where's the proof that we can trust the people who are saying we can trust them to be good researchers? You know, right. like why did we all buy into Skinwalker Ranch because it has a name attached to it at that time back when it was George Knapp who was attached to it, and people trusted him for some reason. He gave us no reason to trust him except that we knew his name and he sounded competent. And I guess those are that's it in ufology, right? Apparently, yeah. You know, and <laughs> <laughs> you know, you probably take a few acting classes in your you know time, and you know how to throw out a, a few key phrases and sell something and and build a good story. And that's, I mean, George Knapp is 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 brilliant when it comes to building, creating narratives and selling them. You know, that's has been his career, and so it it is interesting to see. And, and I, I remember, you know, I used to hold him in, in high regard before I really understood the lay of the land. And and a lot of my people that I felt, you know, kind of in, in awe about, I've definitely learned to to not be. <laughs> yeah. And to, you know, to step back and say, well, where's the proof? You know, why are you leaking documents when you should be in jail if you're leaking documents? If you, <sighs> you know, all, all of these things that we don't really ask because we go down these rabbit holes and it's like, but these are just basic questions that should be asked and nobody does. It's very odd. Yeah. You're supposed to yell about wanting to know the truth. You're not actually supposed to want to know the truth. I mean, come on. Right. But, uh, I, you know, I'm in the sort of the same boat as you in that, in the sense of, I mean, I, I was an experiencer who knew it early on. And so like in high school, you know, I read all of this Hopkins and, Jacobs and Streber and just anything I could get my hands on. And 
And, and, and honestly, I credit Whitley Strieber with sort of keeping me sane in that because he sort of at least put out that, hey, maybe it's not aliens. Maybe we need to look deeper. And so that sort of counterbalanced the evil alien malevolent doctor thing going on on the other side of the spectrum. So to my little beady mind, like, okay, I don't have to believe one over the other, but I do have to at least assume that they're all in this together, right? Like you said, like they're, they're all good above board players because what choice do I have? And I always hear from people the thing of like, even hoaxers are good. Even Bud Hopkins work was good in that it brought more people to the field. And then they like you, Jeremy can figure it out on their own. But the thing is, not only is it rare, I think for, for us to figure it out on our own, it's not incentivized in any way, as we found out with exposing David Jacobs and by proxy Bud Hopkins' work uh, and having the entire cottage industry come down on us. Mm-hmm. So, so certainly there is zero incentive to figure it out in ufology. Right. It's, you know, and that's, I, I just am, am I'm, I'm never, I guess I am always just shocked at the level of, you know, I mean, this is like a kind of a, a cult, you know, where people are, what, you're saying this, and and we're going to gang up and, you know, go online and target and harass you and do all of these things. It's just like, whoa, this is uh, really interesting. And that's unfortunate because with, you know, I mean, I mean, Emma's story should shock and horrify the entire world. I mean, yeah. that is, you know, other people have been through similar abuses. And what are we doing about that? Where are people like, Kathleen Marden or some of the uh, abductee, you know, or experience or whatever, you know, were they whatever, you know. Um, well, she's busy hypnotizing people. Yeah, yeah, good. <laughs> I feel so much better now. So, <laughs> but you know, some of these people should be standing up and saying, "Wait a minute, this is this is wrong, and we need to to stand up for other women." And that's one thing that I want to say too. When I was with Mufon and I was being uh, harassed by uh, a group of, of people, you know, saying some really nasty things uh, to me behind my back on online. You know, I I'd reached out to, and I did a show on, I was on the Paracast with Kathleen Marden and Chase Kletsky, and that was a women's round table. And I, I, I think I was just, I was so stupefied at the fact that nobody really wanted to stand up for other women Right, and it was that was really a sad uh, moment to me. It's like, wait a minute, we should be standing up and supporting other people, especially if there's uh, misconduct taking place. And why aren't we doing that? And you know, I think people that are in the public eye and have that responsibility should be asked those questions and 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 held accountable for their lack of action. Yeah, I mean, and that would be a lot of people, unfortunately, you know. I mean, there were people, like when we, and uh, Carol Rainey probably got this more than Jeff and I, but all three of us got it to some degree of big names, you know, in the field who would call up or write and say, hey, great work exposing these guys. I always knew it, you know, that kind of thing, but would never say anything publicly and would ask, I know in Carol Rainey's instance, at least, asked her not to say that they had, had this conversation, you know, like things like that, where <laughs> congratulatory cowardice, let's call it. Yes. I don't know. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. but that's to this day. I mean, and that that was a decade ago, and now you're talking about like the Me Too movement has happened. Uh, not in ufology. Not in ufology. Still not. And this is why, like, I know that there are people online clamoring for more um, Emma Wood stuff, as though it's going to blow wide open. But you got to understand, like, a you know, a decade ago, uh, magazines were a thing. Uh, the Emma Woods. I did a story on Emma Woods that was the cover story for UFO magazine plus the Peritopia magazine, plus the Peritopia interviews, plus, you know, other people. And then Jack Brewer picked up the ball and ran with it in a big way, you know, years after that. And so it's a story that has been out there. It is a story that everyone Mm -hmm. has known uh, for the most part, if, you know, if they were paying attention and uh, it just gets swept under the rug because that's not, I mean, the thing that, that you and I are missing in this conversation is just the stark realization that people are generally in this, it's rare to not be, unfortunately, for their own fantasy of what this phenomenon is, and that's it. And that is so, I guess, to me, that's just mind-blowing, because this should be, you know, I mean, this should be, we're supporting each other. If we are really feeling that we are having these communications with benevolent space brothers, whoever we're having, some enlightened being, do you think we would we should be behaving this way? Well, it's not, not real. Sure. See that I guess that's the thing. Like this is the a good psychological tell of how real this phenomenon is for you versus LARPing or just a sci-fi interest that you for some reason have deluded yourself into believing mm-hmm. is a reality for you. Right? Like the re- right. because when the real reality hits of like bad researchers and abusive researchers, if you can't A pay attention to that or B give up your sacred cows when they show their ass. Uh, then this has never been real for you in the first place. You never yes. cared about any of this. That's perfect. That is so, that's, yes, well said. That's awesome. I, absolutely. And I mean, I I just, I have to just give you the credit for, for doing so much with Emma and and that. And it, it's like, it is interesting to see how it's like, okay, here, here you go. Even like with the Walton, you know, stuff, it's like, well, people talked about this. Two decades ago, three decades ago, you know, people were asking questions and the questions weren't being answered. And and yet, you know, you've got these people that are willing to, to you know, just defend their beliefs, uh, albeit quite special, delusional. Um, and, you know, it's like you're just, it's fair game. And that that's unfortunate, but it's definitely the, the lay of the land, especially these days. So, it's- Well, see, I was never familiar with whatever it was you were doing with... Um- with Travis Walton uh, until someone had brought it to my attention. It was like, listen, you got to, you got to read all this stuff and, and all that. And maybe you and I have to have a talk about this on air because um, maybe I'm one of those people too. Like I'm not completely convinced that just saying there was a fire tower in the area means that he went up to the fire tower and used it and did all of this stuff. But then again, I may be completely simplifying it because I'm ignorant of the facts and I, completely am willing to bend to that. So maybe, uh, I mean, if you're willing at some point, maybe let's have a conversation about Travis Walton and tell me what the, what the deal is with that. You know, that was just such an, an interesting time. And I've, I've met Travis on numerous occasions. I like Travis. I think Travis has been, he's, he's, he's really fun to hang out with. Um, and that was, you know, a series of, of interviews that we did with a, a person that had claimed that had uh, 
recordings, information, and felt that some of the stories that were being presented were not factual. And, and when you go back, you know, decades, you can go back to when these, the story initially came out and there were questions surrounding the, the hypnotism uh, or, the, excuse me, the lie detector tests and things. And I think the one thing a lot of people don't really realize, they all say, oh, well, everybody passed a lie detector test. That's because they were asking them if they had been involved in murdering Travis or had there was some foul play. It had nothing to do with asking them about an alien spaceship. So, of course, they all pass the lie detector test. So, there are little things like that that you go back and you look at the way, you know, he was, you know, during that time, there was the National Enquirer money for the best uh, stories. There were, it was getting a lot of of airtime back then. Could there have been, you know, Travis and his brother, uh, this group of people that could have, have used that to to you know to get money i mean it's it's who knows i i feel that there are enough holes in the story that it makes it interesting to me um and i think at the end of the day you know he's he's just fine <laughs> and right, he's still right. he's still speaking and and promoting his story and uh, you know again that was an interesting time to try to talk about some of those questions and see the uh the all of you know the people that really took after me and i was basically just sitting there listening to people talk and give me information and mm-hmm. it was like wow okay cool <laughs> yeah i mean uh, you know frankly to get rid of the travis walton case would do me some good because i don't believe that it's aliens and i always thought that the thing that he was lying about or not necessarily well he didn't lie about it actually he he said it if anything else had happened to him he wouldn't talk about it but he's always implied that nothing else has. And I always thought that had to be the lie. Like, like you don't just have a one and done like that. You have a lifetime of weird stuff happen. But uh, right. if we can get rid of the one and done, I'm all for it. So if if, uh, if there's proof out there, I guess I need to care more. <laughs> but frankly, I find my, I'm hard pressed to care anymore. I'm becoming <laughs> curmudgeon in this, you know. God, you and me both, we need like a support group. I'm just like... Okay, meeting at five for the disillusioned and, you know, it's just like, oh my God. And I like, literally, and I'm sure you, I mean, it sounds like you could totally fill me on this. I mean, like some days I, I just like stand in front of my, my UFO library. Just why, why (laughs) have you done this to me? Well, what has it done for you? So like when you get in your mind, when you get rid of the Travis Walton or you get this and that um, theory, what are you personally left with? I mean, you said we can't say what it is, but do you think there's a there there? Is there a mystery with a capital M or is it all just a bunch of stuff waiting to be prosaically answered? You know, it depends on the time of day that you ask me that, <laughs> the answer you're going to get. And I think that's been a hard thing. I mean, I, I know for me, I've had experiences that I, at one point in time, I couldn't explain, but I can explain now. And I've had experiences that I still can't explain and and to me they are a mystery i you know i think that that there is something of merit i don't know what it is i believe that you know we were we don't know everything about our own planet you know there's so many questions that will be answered or or maybe never but there is a, a mystery there i think unfortunately it has been so corrupted by a specific group of people to lead us down and to take our personal power away. And I think that at the end of the day, that's what I try to tell people, okay, you've had a sighting, you know, do your due diligence, put it through the paces. And then at the end of the day, don't share it on the internet, like write a little journal, keep it to yourself and find your own meaning 
for it because the second you look, you know, I think and get involved in some of these Facebook groups or go to UFO conferences, then something that should be sacred and special to you becomes uh, tainted. And, and so it's, it's been an interesting thing. And I've really been, you know, I've been through a, a lot as I know you have in the subject and I've seen a lot of things and a lot of people's behavior and it makes me angry um, that people are being hurt and manipulated. And so sometimes that sense of um, being upset about that and wanting to protect other people makes me feel like, okay, there's nothing to this, but I have to step back and then say, okay, wait a bit, wait a you know what did what did you experience and find the the fun in it again and this new project with jack is is a, a really great outlet i think for both of us to find important things to do and to move things forward and to try to to see through all of this nonsense that has been around us for decades and and do do something in a positive way where we're supporting other people uh, in the subject and doing that with integrity. What is the name of the project and, and where can we find it online? So it's expandingfrontiersresearch.org. And uh, we're lucky to have Barry Greenwood, who is, is there uh, with us. And we're, we'll be inviting other people in and adding a bit more as we move things uh, further. We're just you know getting started, which is fun. Uh, we are a nonprofit and Jack has done some exceptional work, as you know, doing FOIA requests over the years. And so and he's working on some things right now that I think are going to be pretty uh, <laughs> powerful pieces here. And so we will be putting those things on on the website along with his website and then also um, doing the archiving and then making that accessible to the public. And so it's going to be really great. We've got other things in mind. It's just it's so cool to brainstorm and to 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 really look for, look forward to something so just to put a sort of cap on this it, it's not as though you guys have a hypothesis you're trying to test out or anything like that you're 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 asking for materials you want to archive them they'll sit in a vault somewhere i don't know where but they'll you know, they're available to the public so they um i have i've been very lucky i have a wonderful uh, almost 4000 square foot commercial space and half of that is dedicated to the archive and keeping everything safe but it is also um open to the public and i now that who knows what's happening with covid today but i'm you know i do i used to do meetings here all the time and invite speakers in from all over and so i'll start to do that and jack and i are talking about doing some some fun things in the future but it is available for people and i'm you know i i hope that 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 other people will want to to donate because i think this is very cool and i I just totally geek out every time i (laughs) i pick up a file and i'm just like oh yes nobody's seen this before this is so cool and and i want to share it and like i said with jack's expertise and the foyer requests and doing investigative uh you know, journalism, I just, it's going to be cool. It'll be fun. Yeah. Well, I, I, so everyone out there listening, if you are a researcher or you know someone who is, or maybe you've, you're an experiencer who has like a lifetime of journals, <laughs> who knows, consider donating. Um, because I'm, I'm, a, you know, it's open to the public, right? And so therefore it's not just, uh, Jack and Erica who are going to be doing research projects with it that come to mind, but anyone can. 
anyone can be able right. to use this like a library. So that's fantastic. Yes, I'm, it's so exciting. And I hope if you ever make it to to Salt Lake, you know, we can I can give you the tour and and then drive you up to a little ranch and <laughs> you can <laughs> oh, tour <geez>. there. <laughs> oh, wait, not the Skinwalker Ranch by any chance. Well, you know, everybody's got to see it once. <laughs> or not. I'm sure that would just give people some heartburn of Erica Luke's doing the Skinwalker tour. Come on. People. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. That's, that's very kind of you. Absolutely. Um, well, Erica, it was great to finally be able to meet you and uh, have a little chat with you and, and let's not be strangers in the future. eh? Yeah, let's not. And I want to have you on my show. So let me know when you're available. Yay. Okay. Right now. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. Take care. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Anyway, a couple of days later, I mean, that's all it was. Didn't see anything. Didn't just a feeling. Uh, a couple of days later, this is on a Saturday. Carol and I are, it's nighttime. Uh, we're watching uh, a trailer for the Humanity Bureau with Nicolas Cage. And um, trying to decide if we want to watch this. And we have the TV up pretty loud. It's probably, I don't know what, 7 p.m., 8 p.m., somewhere in there maybe. I, I don't remember. Carol's going to hear this and be like, it was 9 p.m. And I'm going to be like, oh, ah, never mind. Uh, I got it wrong. Now I've got to correct everything. So it was nighttime. That's all you need to know. Let's say it was 9. Let's just cover our bases. It was somewhere between 6 p.m. and 11. Uh, <laughs> and so we're watching this Humanity Bureau. The TV's up loud, um, just the, the trailer for it. And we hear coming outside from outside, uh, Roughly what sounds like, almost exactly like this. Now that's pretty spectacular because that's a mountain lion. And here in Hawaii, we don't have mountain lions. The biggest quote-unquote predator would be a boar. Although all of the boars that I've met... All the wild pigs have been really friendly, so I don't even, I think they get a bad rap. Just don't corner them, you know? Um, anyway, we heard a mountain lion. And of course, we immediately thought, we couldn't have heard a mountain lion. Uh, so we rewound the uh, trailer and listened again, because we thought maybe it came from this trailer, although it doesn't seem like it would make any sense to have a mountain lion in this trailer, but it is a Nicolas Cage movie and things don't always have to make sense in a Nicolas Cage movie. Why would the trailer be any different? So we, re we rewound it. We played it. It wasn't there. Um, so I took my, uh, my night vision monocular and looked outside um, because that's the smart thing to do when you hear a mountain lion is to go outside and look for it. So I did that and, um, to be clear, it didn't sound like it was in our yard. We, we have this rather large backyard and then behind that is a farmer's cow pasture and, and like uh, the berm that I was talking about, which runs down our backyard toward the farmer's field, that berm, uh, separates us from this flattened lava field, um, where we have our gazebo. So it, it sounded like it was either coming from there from the farmer's place or from the the flattened lava field somewhere in there. So distant, 
but loud enough to hear over the trailer and really feel like like the you know the like that low rumble part at the end. I'm not doing it any justice because that's a higher tone than this thing, but the low rumble of the at the end, like you could feel that it was so deep and uh, full in the air. So I look through the monocular. I see, of course, three boar in the yard and then the ducks and they're just standing around like, huh? (laughs) So I chase them off. Um, and we decide, okay, let's call the neighbors and see if, uh, or let's text the neighbors and see if, see if they've heard anything. And the name, so we have in our little area here, we have, uh, three other neighbors, two are sort of the top of this big old property and we and another are at the bottom and the one at the bottom heard it. Um, it's a family, but it was the, just the, the wife was home. And, um, so she thought she was hearing things and she got scared and like shut her windows and all of that. So she heard it. She knew what it was. Um, so we decided, okay, well, we got to call the cops then because around August 16th ish, um, on another side of the island in Kona area in a little town called Halualoa, a man uh, had an encounter with a big cat that was sort of, you know, in his yard-ish, but like d- distant enough to where he took a photo of it. It's a blurry, might as well be a UFO picture. It's a blurry photo of a big cat and got a paw print. And so that story had been out there from like a month earlier. But every now and then, you know, you get a weird peculiar thing on the island and people just kind of ignore it and go, yeah, yeah, right, whatever. I mean, it's, we don't know what that is. But we knew about that and we figured everyone knew about that, which we'll get into in a second here. But so we call the police and we're going to tell them, hey, you know that big cat sighting? Uh, I think we just heard that thing. Um, and the police didn't pick up the phone. So we called again and they, they, they didn't pick up the phone and now it's a horror movie. Now it's like, Oh my God, where are the police? You know, did the, did the, the cougar of Ka'u get the police? Dun, dun, dun. Heritopia, please welcome to the program. Tracing Owls podcast's own, I guess, Vuk, Vuk. Uh, welcome Hello, to guys. Paratopia. <laughs> wow. I think I'm the only listener you have now. <laughs> that might be. So this is perfect that you're you're here. Um, yeah. No, the, the truth mm-hmm. is, um, I know that you're you're sort of new to Paratopia and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but in all honesty, and I know you, you don't you probably don't like hearing this because okay. <laughs> for some reason you don't like it compliments but this isn't a compliment i think this is just a fact like uh you don't know jeff that well and jeff didn't know you uh but he would have loved you and i think um you know it's it's just to be able to hear your voice on this show it makes me sad that that you're not on with me and jeff because i think we would have had dynamic conversations 
And I think in some weird way, you might actually have given hope to him for better or for worse in ufology. Uh, I think I, I, I keep making the same mistakes he probably made at the uh, start. So it's like (laughs) I'm conveying him in a way. There you go. But, uh, so. Go ahead, sing sing our praises or his praises or Peritopia's <laughs> praises. Do do something that makes my heart sing, Vuk. Okay, so as you already established, I'm very new to Peritopia, and I started listening like a few months ago. Um, I got to you guys uh, via trying to research into the whole uh, dark underbelly of alien abduction research. Uh, so... Um, as somebody new who is only getting to know Jeff now via what you guys created uh, a decade ago, um, which I refer to as an audio photograph, uh, there's only so much I, I can say about Jeff because I was not there uh, while he was with us. Um, so what I want to say off the bat is that I think it's a very beautiful thing what you are doing now. Uh, posting this uh, whole show that you guys made again after a whole decade, even though uh, it's there's only a handful of us that are probably listening now, you know, after a whole decade. Uh, but I think it's a very important thing because uh, what you guys made together and um, what he expressed on these shows and what was recorded is, you know, an audio type of photograph is an expression and an imprint of him, a uh, fossilized record, if you will, because I'm a biologist, so I'd use those references um, that we can dig up now and um, uh, be amazed by and be influenced by as well. So indirectly, you know, through the show, he is imprinting his ideas and his concepts and his uh, own style of uh, perceiving all of this paranormal weirdness um, and the issues with the community uh, through the show, imprinting them into me, you know, even though we never got the chance to meet each other. Well, one thing you you just said before we went on that I think is kind of worth exploring is that you really appreciated or appreciate his hot headedness. Yeah. (laughs) And so what is it about that? I mean, to to, to my mind, when I hear that, I think like, Oh, the, the thing that's really missing in ufology is just um, the raw honesty of, Yes. Or even just saying yes and no to things, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I appreciate his hot headedness and I'm, I'm kind of reluctant to say, yeah, the guy was hot headed. He was uh, very um, open to express himself and uh, say what's on his mind, be it great or be it bad. Um, as I said, like I may be making the same mistakes as him, but uh, I appreciate the honesty and the authenticity of uh, uh, being open to make mistakes and being open to learn, being, op- being open to uh, change your uh, perception of the phenomenon to uh, say something that's on your mind and later on gain new knowledges and kind of restructure your, your <laughs> frame of reference and uh, perception of everything. So well, that's to that something- end... I just want to say to that end, I mean, you know, when we left, spoiler alert, Vuk, uh, Mm -hmm. by the time this show is over, uh, Jeff is is positing a sort of Gaia theory, which you are all about. um, And it may actually be the same Gaia theory that that you 
uh, are all about. Uh, this is part of why I wish, you know, you guys had gotten to speak. Um, yeah. is there, I, I don't know. I'm, I guess you haven't gotten there, so maybe you haven't heard what his I haven't, thinking on this I haven't, was. but based on what I'm hearing of him, like from what you have put out, uh, I can see that we are getting there. We are very similar in our, um, methods of of uh perceiving and analyzing this stuff you know so it's like listening to him now it's like uh we are growing together and learning together in a way and i know that may sound very weird um i i do see a lot of synchronicities with what i'm listening to now um what i'm finding out about him through your show a decade later and what is happening with me Huh. Well, and so do you find that, how do you feel about that? I, uh, do you want honesty <laughs> or do you want? Yeah. Cause uh, part of me thinks like, oh, that would be comforting. Another part of me thinks like, oh, that would be uh, kind of okay. awful. <laughs> no. Oh, well, I am now kind of obsessed with uh, seeing what, how all of this transpires because I, as I say, I see a lot of similarities and synchronicities between me and him, and um, it's terrifying in a way, but it's also miraculous. Uh, he he constantly said on your show that people who are in this community, kind of their life is consumed by the paranormal, um, right. and I'm starting to think that he was right, especially knowing what what happened later on. Um, and the more I am, you know, going into this, uh, uh, learning these things, researching, the more I find myself being drained. Huh. Yeah. Uh, in what way? Emotionally or, or what? In a way that these ideas uh, sprout and grow into something that changes your perception of reality and uh, knowing all this kind of, drains away at your life, both your soul and physically and mentally and emotionally. Hmm. Yeah. So what do you make of that? I, Cause there are a couple of ways to read that. One is the obvious, <laughs> like it's, it's radiation and it's deteriorating you. And then the other, I guess, chair spin, let's call it. Cause I like to mm-hmm. speak in a third person is um, right. The self is, uh, an illusion, and perhaps there's something that is uh, interacting with you or whatever that is, infiltrating your life or whatever, to try to to show that to you by by actually showing your life to be that, if that makes sense, as yeah, opposed to a discussion. Yeah. So to make it clear, like I know that you personally understand me, and I don't know who will be listening, and anything I say may be perceived as questionable or, I don't know, offensive. Um, I don't mean like draining away at your life in in terms of physical death, mm-hmm. but as you are trying to convey there as death of ego, death of self. Well, but, but it, it, can, still, it can lead <laughs> to physical deterioration too. Like if yes. you don't heed the call, this is the thing. I mean, this is the problem is that because there's no blatant communication of like, hey, this is what's going on here, folks. You got, you know, you got to read between the lines. If you don't read between the lines, 
you could get consumed by it. You could do like, you know, what was it, Bill Cooper who, you know, ended up dying in a shootout with the, at the okay corral as it were, you know, yeah. like you can go crazy with it. And in fact, George Hansen is all too eager to take a look at the new people in ufology or any of the paranormal fields and call <laughs> which ones are going to go crazy and which ones might not. Like, like he has an ability to do that because he's observed this for so long. You can tell, I guess he can tell pretty much like, no, that person's going to, you know, they look rational and sound now, but give them five years. They're going to be down the rabbit hole. Oh, that person won't like he can, he can see that. And there's a reason. And I think it's our own ability to come to what you and I are talking about right now, which is like um, seeing past the literal surface which again is hard to do because it's not the literal surface of a mere story or a mere instruction. It's your life as it seems to be evolving with this phenomenon. Yeah. But it's also deteriorate deteriorating. I think a lot of people in the ufology community that you guys have been criticizing are people who stick to the surface because the surface is comforting and because you don't have to invest as much. But if you want to look deeper you need to pay a price at all, you know? Yeah. And I think people, that's another like sort of area that, that needs to be exposed is like your comfort zone may include evil aliens doing evil alien things. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like people think that because they believe something that's frightening or paranoid, um, that that's depth and it's not, that's still a shallow comfort, comforting because, um, well, yeah, it's essentially creating a villain. Yeah. Uh, I am here and you are there and uh, me and versus the other instead of me versus myself, because we are all one. Um, the depth of this is realizing that there is no other because we are the other. Yeah, well, I'm I'm glad you you, uh, you know, I put out the call for, Hey, does anyone want to come on and just say a few words? And you were the first one to say me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, the, and then immediately turn around and say, actually, I don't know anything about Jeff really. Uh, so I, I don't know that I'm qualified for this. I mean, all of that is so nice and liminal and, and trickstery and perfect. Yeah. Um, that of course you had to come on here and, <laughs> and, uh, and, and say perfect words. I, I think, and maybe you'd agree that it's something that Jeff would do. <laughs> Oh yeah, the the you know hot headed approach because as is, as soon as I saw that I know that I don't know about Jeff much. I know it may be offensive that you're having me on to say no, something about a guy all. that I never met. You know, um, uh, when you're gonna have people who actually know knew him, you know, but I don't know. I I, I see similarities between us that hot headed approach and that willingness to just be open and authentic and say yes or no. You know. Right. Well, like I said, he would have appreciated you and I appreciate you. And, uh, so much so that will it be by the time people hear this? No, like in a few weeks, you're going to be my second guest on dreamland. So thank you for doing that too. No problem, man. Which I think you're probably not thrilled with, right? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, man. Like, uh, I am outside of my comfort zone now. Um, I was outside of my comfort zone then, um, but I think that's a good thing. Now, I want to ask you one more one one more thing here, um, because you've also said to me, like, 
there are circumstances where you would leave your podcast and stop doing this stuff. Like it wouldn't be a big deal to you if you just get sick of it or wh- whatever it is, whatever changes your mind. Yeah. And I say that too. I, I constantly say like, I can leave anytime I want. People think that I'm, you know, whatever entrenched in this. And really I'm not, I'm all talked out, frankly, but then something like, you know, Whitley Strieber offering me dreamland comes along and it's like, Oh, I've got to come back in. Do you think that, that if you tried to get out, you, you could be lured back in constantly the way I feel. Yeah, exactly. I am. Because, <laughs> well, I have wallowed in the mud of paranormality now. So I'm carrying that mud alongside myself, you know, mm-hmm. it will always be a part of me. I'm, I'm imprinted with this stuff now. <laughs> imprinted <laughs> with the mud of ufology. Yes. Yes. Mm, I smell a book. All right. Well, I mean, now, now I listen to the episode where, um, Jeff was taking a break like two months from Paratopia uh-huh. and he came back again. <laughs> That's right. Something you cannot ex- escape <laughs> and it takes a toll on your, your, um, your whole being. I don't remember is, is so in the re-releases here, are we up to where like we hand the show off to listeners? Is, is that what happened there or no? Uh, you had a few episodes, I think with co get uh, co-host guests, now we oh. are at the Emma Woods tapes. Right. No, that I know. But okay. So, all right. Cause at some point we hand it off to listeners. Like we're both like, okay, why don't you guys do this now? <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, so I thought maybe that was where we're at. In which case I was going and, to say something. Now, now you're having me. Now you're having me because I'm the only listener now left. <laughs> now that, yes. Yeah, so I'm actually, I was going to hand the mantle to you and ask if you wanted to host Paratopia from here on out. But, uh, oh, the so show's that, defunct. So it's a little asking late. Me. <laughs> That's why you're asking me if I'd ever leave my own podcast. That's right. Yes. <laughs> Damn it. You're on to me. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, thank you for doing this. Like I said, I, I will keep this short and sweet because yeah. um, I've got a cougar story to tell. Okay. Room refresh. Um, so we decided, okay, for some reason the police aren't answering. Unbeknownst to us, it's a small enough town where the police just go home and like, <laughs> there's another phone number, you know, you like call 911 or this other phone number for, uh, non-emergency issues. I just thought you could call the, the local police and not have to call 911, but I, I guess, uh, they're home. But I also, I knew that police and other law enforcement, um, actually peruse, the uh, Facebook uh, bulletin boards, like the community bulletin boards. So we decided to post. Carol posted on one and I posted on another one, a local community bulletin board, just saying, hey, be careful. We heard this. Don't know what it is. At the time, you know, before we had found it on YouTube, the exact sound, I was thinking like, Jesus, is this a Jaguar or something? Like, what is this? Um, but we finally found it and was like, no, we both agreed. It's like definitely mountain lion. And, uh, so we posted this and we thought, okay, great. We'll just warn people. They'll thank us. The end. No good deed goes unpunished. Oh, they thanked us. All right. Um, I, apparently I hit the better community bulletin board because we both got crapped on, but she, Carol got crapped on big time. I mean, people uh, saying, how dare you, you know, I guess it's, uh, what Halloween season comes early? Ha ha ha! Um, are you on drugs? Um, why are you guys hoaxing? What are you? You know, how dare you worry us like this? I'm so sick of Howleys. You know, I'm I'm 
sure people like you will be off the island soon. People like you never last here. This sort of thing. And I went in there and tried to say, hey, I'm her husband, and uh, I approve this message. She heard what she heard, I promise you. And uh, then I got crapped on, too. So, And by the moderator, not just, you know, by participants and the moderator. Like, hundreds of people. Like, Carol's like, oh, my God, we're going viral. This is what it's like to go viral for the wrong reasons. You know? (laughs) It was crazy. Uh, Now, I'm used to this because I come from ufology. Carol um, is normal. (laughs) So she's not one to like, you know, be used to strangers, cyber bullying and making fun of you for trying to help them. But there were a few people on there who were, uh, nice and, you know, thanked us and all of that. But predominantly it was, uh, a lot of hatred and anger. And, um, I, I actually wrote at one point, you know, if I had said that this was a UFO, You guys would all be like, really? Wow, tell me more. But no, I'm telling you we heard a giant cat of some sort out there, which exists in the world, and and you you don't think it's possible that, like, you know, you don't think it's possible. And someone else wrote and made the same point later, apparently not seeing that I had written that, and someone responded to them saying, yeah, but UFOs are real. I thought, huh, we're living in interesting times, aren't we? But this is what it is. It's like they can't fathom it. And someone was even wrote, you know, like, well, what, did somebody smuggle a cougar on their uh, on their plane? And then once you say it's a cougar, because once we heard it, I changed my tune from Jaguar to Cougar. And once you say cougar, it's like, here come the, here come the you know, cougar jokes. Oh, I know how to trap a cougar. Oh, I'm a cougar. Ha, 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 ha. Yeah, 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 we get it. Cougar jokes. Got it. Just trying to do our civic duty, people. Um, but people all of a sudden also were like cougar experts and they're like, oh, mountain lions, they sound just like women screaming or they sound like babies or maybe you heard a peacock or could it have been a Maine Coon? And what's funny is you look up like Maine Coon and it sounds like our, our tabby cat Oscar. Mew. It's like, no, that's not what, that's not what we heard. Oh, cougars, they can only travel nine or ten miles. So even if the thing in Kona was real, it couldn't possibly be here because we're many miles away from that and people have spotted this thing all over the island. Everyone's just got hysteria or they're lying or they're on drugs. No cougar. And it's like there's great precedent for um, rich people private jetting here with exotic animals is it really so difficult to believe that some rich a-hole brought over a cougar and then it grew too big and they let it go or it escaped is that really like just impossible to comprehend apparently and i thought everyone knew again about that that um the, the televised news piece about the first cougar sighting Kona, and they didn't. They hadn't heard of that, a lot of them. Um, or they didn't believe it, or they thought that we were just, you know, that that was garbage, and we were garbage too. However, uh, someone from the USDA privately messaged Carol. He had seen this on there, and he said, hey, uh, give me a call. <laughs> And we called him up, and he asked us, and we told him what we heard, and he said, okay, well, I believe you because, um, you know, I I saw the paw print from Kona, and that thing was five inches wide. 
and that ain't no small cat. And he said, uh, it hasn't been publicized at all, but this week, earlier this week, somebody spotted a big cat walking down the road we live on. So he said, oh, huh. And he said, yeah. So somebody from, I, I don't remember, another department, the natural land and natural development, agricultural office, or I don't know what it is, but they'll, they're from the University of Hawaii. Maybe they'll give us a call on Monday and we can tell them about it. Um, and he said, by the way, these things can travel about 50 miles a day. <laughs> so it's not like nine or 10 miles. Like they've got a large, uh, swath to cover. Okay, great. So we felt a little better about that, but at the same time, it's weird how the authorities aren't talking about this, right? Like they did with that initial sighting on the Kona side set up, um, I guess a camera and tried to, you know, bait, for this thing. But if you know that it's traveling all over the island and you've gotten calls from Mountain View, which is even further away, um, then you know it setting up bait and camera in one place ain't going to cut it. However, he did say that um, that they've gotten a lot of prank calls and, and all of that, and so it's hard to answer every call because a lot of them are crap. But he did believe us, which was nice. <laughs> Paratopia, it is my distinct honor and pleasure to uh, welcome Soraya Asgath of, uh, or however it Asgard, Asriel, Asgath, Asgath, which sounds a lot to me like ASCAP, which was the Upright Citizens Brigade uh, show back in New York way back when. It doesn't matter. Soraya, welcome to the show. Hi, Jeremy. Glad to be here. I, uh, Jeff Ritzman was uh, a huge, uh, I don't know, a fan is the right word of you. I know that he loved you and he loved going on Where Did the Road Go, which is your super popular show. So probably people don't even need me to introduce it, but there it is. (laughs) And so I just, uh, I don't know. I just thought it'd be great to to hear from you um, because I think you're, is it fair to say you were kind, as far as like people who have never met before, um, close to him toward yeah. the end? Yeah, yeah, and not not even quite at the end, but just like I mean, we just connected right off the bat. Um, I had never heard of Paratopia when I met Jeff. Um, I found him because I was listening to Project Archivist, and he was on there. And he was talking about his experiences. I'm like, who the hell is this guy? Like, I feel like, like the, the, even though our experiences were different, there was something about them that felt similar. And so I had approached Rosian of, uh, cause I was friends with Rosian and I said, Hey, you know, who's, who's this Jeff Ritzman guy? He's like, how do you not know Jeff? And I'm like, I, uh, and so he connected me to Jeff and Jeff, this was a while after he'd done, I guess it, this, this was sort of in his, one of his periods where he was staying away from this stuff. And uh, I contacted him and he agreed to come on. And then we just, I mean, like I told you uh, earlier, we had talked over six hours the first time we I had him on. Yeah. And a bunch of that made it into the show and a bunch of it didn't. Um, we just had a lot of stuff in common, not just with the experiences, but we both liked metal. Um, and I, w- I was very proud of the fact that uh, Jeff was very stubborn when it came to metal. 
So he was like, I don't like anything new. He's like, I don't <laughs> like single new band. I only like the old stuff. And I got him into a bunch of new bands. That's cool. So I was really proud of that. Um, I got him to listen to Michael Jackson. Does that count? <laughs> did he like it? Yes, he did. All right. <laughs> yeah, he know he all. I mean, that's the great thing about Jeff. I mean, he may have said I don't listen to any of it, but he always appreciated great music. So if he, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that he would hear it and be like, okay, I'm into it. And so you know, because some people they'll hear it and they'll pretend, you know, because they got to keep on that up the airs of like, oh, you yeah. know, I'm a curmudgeon yeah. who only likes what I like. That wasn't him. <laughs> well, he had specific things he didn't like about newer metal. And so like, you know, I sent him stuff that I'm like, oh no, you'll like this. And he's like, oh, I just bought all their stuff. Okay, cool. <laughs> That's um, but yeah, I mean, we had, we had a lot in common with the experiences and I think we worked off of each other really well as far as like coming up with different questions about this stuff. Um, so technically I had him on uh, to talk about his stuff and then I had he, him and Joshua Cutchin basically go over my stuff because I wanted their questions. Like, so I went over my experiences and had Jeff in particular throw, you know, like any questions he could think of at me to, you know, hopefully bring out a little more stuff that was going on with me. Hmm. And yeah, I, I never got to meet him. He was supposed to come out to Alba Twitch. Um, I don't remember what year it was, uh, whatever the last Alba Twitch was before the pandemic, I think. So 2019, it must have been. And, uh, What's Alba Twitch? Alba Twitch is a festival in Columbia, Pennsylvania, that uh, it's a little white Bigfoot creature that was seen in the area over the years. And it gets its own conference? It gets its own conference, yes. <laughs> and it, it's nothing big. It's There's a bunch of vendors, there's some bands playing, and there's like huh. a handful of people talking. That's pretty uh, big. And I went. I was going down because I'm friends with Timothy Renner, who does Strange Familiars. And uh, Jeff wasn't that far away. In fact, Jeff and Jeff and Tim had some weird interconnections too, because they they always went to apparently to the same guitar shop. Hmm. And uh, so Jeff was supposed to come out, and then something happened with his son. I don't remember what. And uh, we were actually going to try and do that, and then go to a One-Eyed Doll concert right afterwards in Baltimore. What happened? Oh, oh, wait, something happened with his son. Yeah, his son had to go to the hospital for something. It ended uh, up not being serious. I don't remember the exact details, but he ended up not being able to make it out. Huh. Nevertheless, uh, I'm sure you guys shared many a great late night conversation. Oh, yes. Yeah. They, they were usually like six hours long. Did, and, so, and his way did, of look. Uh, go ahead. I was just, well, I mean, maybe you were about to say what I was about to ask you. Just, you know, how did, how did he, uh, influence your thinking, even about your own experiences, if he did? I can't answer that right off the top of my head because it's been a while. Um, but a lot of the way he thought about stuff then entered my way of thinking as well. Um, and so, like, he would just ask pertinent questions that I would then, you know, absorb into the way I think about my experiences. And that's why I wanted him to go through and ask those questions, because I knew he was going to ask me stuff that I had not thought about or looked at in a way that I had not looked at before, because he was really good at that. He was really good at taking things apart and reframing them. Indeed. <laughs> Have you... Uh 
you know, he was big into the, you know, trickster theory and liminality and all of that. And I know you've yeah. seen some of that in your life, but once, once you open up to, to that, like, you know, do you start seeing it everywhere when, when you're interviewing people? Uh, no, hmm. but when it's there, it's definitely there. Meaning that when it's there, it's definitely uh, an an aspect of this. Right. It's really obvious when it's there. But the thing is, too, um, like the liminality stuff, I only noticed that stuff in my life because I took copious notes about what was going on in my life as well as the weird stuff. So I was able to go back and go, oh, huh. This, these things all happened in certain time periods where that were very liminal. Which opens up a whole, like, why do liminal time periods affect this stuff? Uh, but most people don't do that. Most people have an experience, and they can relate the experience to you. But if it's been a few years, and you say, well, what was going on? They'll be like, I don't know. Right. Because most people don't record this stuff, which is why I tell people not only should they record the weird stuff, but record, you know, the everyday stuff, too. It doesn't have to be in huge detail. It ends yeah. up being useful in multiple ways. But if I hadn't done that, the liminality aspect, again, never would have come come to me. I never would have been like, oh, holy crap, you know? So do you feel like you connected with him more in the paranormal stuff or more in the music stuff? I was pretty equal. Yeah. I like a lot more music than he did, but it was cool because, like I said, I could get him into stuff. Like once I figured out what he liked, I'd, I'd occasionally send him stuff and he'd be like, yep, this is awesome. And it wasn't Iron Maiden. <laughs> did it have equally good artwork at least uh sometimes sometimes what what is that about about metal where it's like you know album covers kind of go hand in hand with the uh the music oh but some album covers are so bad <laughs> like some of the 80s albums covers look like a five-year-old drew them <laughs> And sang them, frankly. So. Well, yes, sometimes. <laughs> but there's like great records that just have some of the worst covers you could ever imagine. And you're like, why? What made you think this was a good cover? Hmm. And then you have the opposite. You have bands who have art on their covers that is astonishing. And then you put it on. You're like, oh, this is awful. <laughs> huh. But in the eighties, artwork sold a lot of records. I mean, because you'd walk into the record store and be like, "Oh, this looks cool. I'll buy this." Are you an artist? No. Okay. Yeah, because Jeff would, you know, draw all that stuff. Yes, which I found interesting. I found it interesting that he would. He was more interested in doing sort of graphic design stuff for, for like that, or for Lodge Forty Nine, or or whatever, yeah. Darth Vader, you know, whatever it is, right. but not his own experiences. Which is usually the opposite with experiencers. And he did two designs for where did the road go completely, you know, like he just presented one day. He's like, here, I have art for you. And I'm like, really? Oh my God, this is amazing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. He was always generous like that. I miss that. (laughs) And the thing is because, you know, in the time I knew him, I would go months sometimes without talking to him. So sometimes it's hard to realize he's not there anymore. Right. So sometimes I'll be like, oh, Jeff would like, never mind. Yeah. I mean, I get that way. Like, you know, I'm re releasing the Paratopia episodes, obviously, and I yeah. don't really listen to a lot of them. Some of them I will. 
Um, but it just sounds like he's there. Like that's how fresh the conversations feel. And I, and, and I catch myself wanting to ask him questions, you know, <laughs> right. and it's like, right. Oh, right. Uh, but whatever those questions are, I'm sure he's, he's answering them right now. <laughs> Maybe he's here with us trying to tell us and we're just not smart enough to listen yet. Probably. Although I think my computer would have shut down by now, but <laughs> Maybe that's too rote. He's like, nah. <laughs> Need to come up with some new inventive way to get their attention. <laughs> Knows. Actually, I hope not. I hope, you know, whatever he's doing, it's not paying attention to any of this. <laughs> no, maybe he's multidimensional now. He can pay attention to this and other things. That's true. I still hope he's not paying attention to this. <laughs> <laughs> Cause him nothing but grief. Nothing but grief. Um, well, uh, like I said, he, I, I, I feel like he definitely, uh, loved chatting you up and I wish we had met all three of us, uh, during the Paratopia days. Yeah. We could have, could have made some magic, but, um, you're, you're off making magic with where did the road go? So who the hell needs Paratopia anyway, when you think about it? <laughs> no, I think Paratopia needs to be out there. It's important. That's true. That's so I hear. All right. Well, <laughs> thank you for, uh, for coming on and saying a couple of words and, and, um, yeah, don't be a stranger. Absolutely. On the road to wherever it's going. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like if you say anything slowly like that, it sounds ominous and that's the way yes. you should just end things. Yeah. It doesn't even have to make sense. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> to the next day. This is a Sunday. Meanwhile, back on the Kona side, closer to Hululoa, but not quite, uh, at the Monago Hotel, which is the first place I ever stayed when I came to the island, there were some a couple of tourists from California who apparently came barreling into the hotel and were like, oh my God, right across the street is a cougar. They're like, they're a mountain lion. Cougar and a mountain lion are the same thing. If you don't know, I didn't know. Um, but they saw a mountain lion. They were like, listen, we're from California. We know what we, it's a mountain lion. And so the Monago Hotel checked their security feed, and sure enough, wandering on the highway. <laughs> uh, to, by the way, when I say highway in Hawaii, at least on this island, we're talking like a road, but it's called a, a highway, uh, is, this, is this giant cat. Now, again, it's, it's security cam footage. It is lit in the hotel. It is nighttime outdoors. So you can't really quite tell what you're looking at across the street, but you can by the, by the way that it moves. You can tell it's a big cat of some sort uh, walking by. And, and by the way, all the people who have come forward to say that they've seen this remained anonymous. And in fact, when they did the hotel news story on the news, uh, they didn't even name the Monago Hotel. They said a hotel on whatever it was, Highway 11 and such and such street. They didn't say, <laughs> it's like everyone knows to not use their name or location except for Carol and I. We're, we're like, 
I guess the stupid people on the island. So, you know, yeah, you're welcome, everyone. We'll take one for the team. Um, I digress. So apparently now the cougar duties have been given to yet another uh, acronym governmental agency whose name I don't even remember. So some third entity is actually now in charge of it. Department of Land and something, something, I don't know. They uh, they said, essentially, we're not really investigating. In fact, we took down our first cameras and all that stuff. And, you know, unless we have more evidence of this thing, we can't just keep doing this. I mean, really, I think nobody wants to worry tourists, worry the island, have, you know, hunters out there with rifles going crazy looking for this thing. I think they're trying to keep a Stephen King-esque situation from unfolding, but um, you're going to have literal blood on your hands if this cougar decides to maul somebody. So there's that. And meanwhile, back on the message boards, the moderator of, of the the one place there, the, the worst of the two, um, turned off our ability to comment anymore, even though he could comment and other people could comment. We couldn't comment anymore on our own post. And he had seen that that about the Monago Hotel, you know, the news. And his answer to that was, oh, great, now the news is getting in on the hoax. You know, like everyone's trying to make money off this. It's like, are, are you, is this idiocracy? Are you people, are you high? <laughs> like, uh, I, what's really funny is like one person looked at Carol's profile, which is like a bunch of cat photos, is what she has for public view. They're like, why is it always a cat woman who makes these kind of claims? And then I'm thinking, please don't look at my, my profile. <laughs> please don't figure out who I am, because then that'll be the one-two knockout blow of uh, trolling for the rest of our lives on that message board. Uh, but anyway, that's where it stands now. We didn't see anything. We know what it sounded like that we heard. I know how it felt a couple of days earlier out there. Um, I will add this to it just for what we're going to talk about in a minute, which is, um, getting back to like me in Hawaii, you have to be careful what you wish for. Like you can't just say out loud things. Or you'll see them the next day. You know, like if you're like, oh, I'd love to get eaten by a shark. Well, guess what you're going to see the next time you go out in the water. I mean, it's like that kind of thing. But uh, I think I've talked about this on Peritopia before when I first moved here. You know, if you're like, hey, I really, I wish I had a TV. You know, you'll have five TVs the next day because people will offer them to you or you know, things like that. Like really oddly quick response from the quote-unquote universe uh, when you put it out there. I've never experienced that anywhere else but here. And so maybe in that vein, like a few weeks before hearing this cougar, we got into a, a bit of an argument with a friend who wanted to uh, feed a stray cat in on our property. And we got into this argument about, well, because we're like, well, it's a bird sanctuary. Well, why can't it be for more than just the animals you want? Why can't it be cats too? Well, this is what happens when it becomes a cat sanctuary, people. You get a cougar! So, be careful what you wish for. It's Hawaii. You end up with a freaking cougar. <laughs> Ladies and germs, guess who has knocked at the 
patch of Paratopia. It is none other than Glimpses of Magonia, a memoir of my anomalous experiences author, Emma Woods. Emma, hello. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, well, it's been uh, quite the journey for you, and it's um, finally ending in a series of books, and you've been out um, doing interviews for the, the first book. How is that going for you? Uh, because I, it, it's interesting. Um, I remember how you used to sound like a decade ago yeah. and you sounded a lot like you did when you were under hypnosis. But when I interviewed you for the experience and when I've heard you on other podcasts, yeah. you sound strong and you sound different and maybe you just have a better microphone. I don't know, but <laughs> something seems to have changed with you. Am I wrong about that? Um, I'm probably not as terrified as I was in the beginning because um, I'm shy. Um, and so I'm always quite anxious before, you know, being interviewed. But I, um, just I've done it quite a few times now, so I'm sort of starting to get the hang of it. So that's probably what well, I sounded like a terrified person in the first ones. But, yeah, it's probably just that, just sort of getting used to. How is how's people's reception of you now as opposed to back then? Um, I think it's in a way similar, um, but I think there's also a bit more understanding of um, what abuse looks like. So there, there still are the, the sort of people who, you know, will support Jacobs, you know, even if he shoots someone on the street type people, um, and they're still there and they still... <clears throat> haven't really changed. Um, and then there's the people who just, you know, can tell that something is really wrong. But I, I think also in the types of comments, there's more understanding about um, exploitation and just, yeah, maybe the Me Too movement has helped with that, but there does seem to be a more deeper understanding, I think, of just how how bad you know Jacobs was in hypnosis. Um but yeah there's still that really strong division. Um yeah and I and I've been yeah. Are people coming after you at all in the way that they used to? Um there's been a few, there there are some people who go after me. Um but I'm not on forums like in the the first time around I was sort of following forum posts um, where there was a lot of attacks on me and on you guys and Carol and so on. And because I'm not on forums, I don't know whether that's still happening or not. Um, I don't even know then, if there are forums anymore. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> I know. There's just sort of Twitter. Um, yeah, I'm aware that I'm blocked from some Twitter accounts and some people say, you know, quite sort of mean things. But, um, yeah, I feel a bit more, I don't know, yeah, it's not so present maybe as it was last time. I think that there is a bit more understanding this time around. What What is your feeling about it? Have you been attacked? Like, not really. I just, it's interesting in re-releasing the Paratopias and now we're coming up to the, you know, the Emma Woods portion of the program has begun. And it's like I... I guess I've forgotten all the stuff that happened, for instance, with the Paracast. Like, yeah. I, it's sort of in my mind about, like, right, Gene Steinberg. But I forgot about all the people on his forum 
who went yeah. after us and went after you and, you know, went after Carol mm-hmm. Rainey and yeah. uh, I, just all of that aspect of it. I had sort of forgotten. Yeah. Um, and it's a, and it was a <laughs> lot in a short amount of time, apparently <laughs> yeah. just listening to like, okay, here's an episode where we review the Emma Woods tapes. Next episode, we're talking about all the attacks we received for having done that. And it's like, wow, yeah. that was really, yeah, I guess it was a lot. Yeah. Um, and now yeah. I think there's one guy pretending to be someone else who I've blocked on Twitter. Uh, yeah. Who honestly, I think is mentally ill. Like that's, if yeah. I had to guess, I'd say he's got a problem because uh, <laughs> yeah. otherwise he's just evil. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, uh, that's it. <laughs> so everyone right. seems to really be supportive of you, at least that I've seen yeah. for the most part on Twitter. And yeah. like you, I don't even really know if forums exist anymore. So, <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, uh, I was in, I was interviewed um, by a podcast host who said that he had mentioned to various researchers in, in ufology that he was interviewing me, and apparently he just got the same line: "Oh, liar." liar liar <laughs> like they all just basically said i was a liar so there is that there but maybe they don't sort of say it out front anymore maybe as mm. much yeah. but did the podcast host uh take away that you were a liar after interviewing you i don't think so no yeah, yeah. no i i don't think so at all i think but he was yeah just sort of passed that on <laughs> it's also interesting because if you think about it i mean it's been like a decade or almost a decade uh, since all that stuff. Right. And maybe even longer. I don't know, but, um, but you're writing your, it's going to be a series of books, right? At least three books and you're right. You're, you're releasing them starting now. So if, if you were lying and you were going to capitalize on that lie, you would have done that. Oh, I don't know, 10 years ago. So it doesn't really make any sense in your first book. Actually, isn't about the Jacob's no. hypnosis stuff at all. It's about your, no. your experiences prior to him. So you're yeah. still not even capitalizing on it. And I think it's oh. really telling that people can't, yeah. um, in this field, not everyone, obviously, but a, a lot of people just doesn't compute that someone wouldn't be capitalizing yeah. <laughs> in this oh. field, you know, like you must be, yeah. you must be up to something. Well, no, sometimes okay. they're just really bad researchers and, Sometimes we happen to like them and then it's up to us to not like them anymore when we realize, oh, they're bad researchers. And to look at the evidence um, because, I mean, the evidence is there. (laughs) Um, Yeah, they must just not look at it or look at it and not comprehend the meaning of it. It's it's quite strange, but yeah. So uh, in terms of your own experiences, have they yeah. amped up in any sort of way? Has there been like a, a high strangeness response to the fact that you're speaking about yourself publicly? Um, <clears throat> um, I don't know. I don't think so. They're just sort of rolling on, carrying on as normal. Um, so I don't think so. Um, the time in my life where I really noticed an increase was when I did a very detailed record of them and I had my um, video camera going and I was recording myself sleeping and all of that for a whole year. And during that year, I think there was possibly an increase um, or I was just more aware of it. Um, so I think that if you engage with it, well, for me, if I engage with it, 
it, it does seem to increase and maybe even interact a bit. Whereas I think maybe going in public and having, it doesn't seem to be affecting it the same way. You've gotten married since then as well. Yeah. Has, you know, that sort of changes your patterns and your routine and, and all yeah. of that. Did that uh, affect your paranormal happenings at all? Um, well, they just sort of continued. Um, quite early in our relationship, there were a number of experiences and it may, I think possibly that did increase them a bit. Um, sort of very early on our relationship, um, my husband sort of witnessed a few things which were quite um, surprising. Um, and then they just sort of gone back to being just a normal rolling over type of thing. And then every now and again, he witnesses something, um, something small. Um, and he wrote a chapter in my book. Um, um, it was really kind of him. He just wrote a chapter about what he had witnessed and his um, thoughts on it. Um, so he um, had, yeah, before he, before we were together, he basically thought that um, people who had experiences, he didn't know what to make of it. Um, and now he sort of thinks that there is something there, but he doesn't know what it is. And he just has quite a neutral kind of view on it. But he does think that there's something there because he's seen things and experienced things. Right. So it's been interesting. Yeah. Well, what about in terms of uh, people who you find suspicious, perhaps a part of this, David Jacobs kind of turned them into sort of hybrids chasing you. He, yeah. he may have turned it into that, but there is an element, <laughs> right, of, of people monitoring you or something, somehow interfering in your life, right, that, that you think may be associated um, with this stuff. Um, I, w I would say that <clears throat> it's very infrequent. It's not like a regular occurrence. But some of my experiences have involved people that look human. Now, whether they are human, I don't know. Um, or whether, even any, any, any kind of living being that I've seen in relation to my experiences, I don't know if that's what they really look like or whether my brain is just interpreting something that way because I can understand it better or, um, it's presenting itself to me like that in a way that I can understand or for some other reason. So I don't know, but some of my experience, yeah, some of my experiences have involved people that look human. Um, has that been that blatant sort of in your face experience? Is that something that has changed with marriage or with time? Um, no, those blatant ones are still there, actually. Yeah. Um, they're not as com they're not very common. Um, a lot of my experiences are kind of s small things like unexplained body marks or, you know, unexplained sounds and, and, um, just sort of small premonitions and things like that. Um, but the more bigger experiences, they don't happen quite as often, but they do still happen, yeah, since I've been married, yeah. What would be an example of one? Um, when I saw a woman in a long white gown in our house, um, I read about that in the book as well. Um, and 
that that's a, a an apparition or a being. I'm not sure that I've seen it a few times in my life. Um, and I was just in the kitchen, and I just I don't know why, but I just turned and looked down the hall. Um, and this woman in a long white gown just glided out of the lounge and went down the hall and into the bedroom. Um, and when I looked at her, it was just like normal. I didn't think that there was anything, you know, untoward about it. It was just normal. But then I was interested to see where she went. Um, and then I started to go down the hall and then I saw that the bedroom door was shut. And it, then I realized that it was an anomalous um, experience. So, yeah, I mean, just things like that happen. Um, do you have things like, you know, Jeff Ritzman um, had his experiences sort of change from being abducted to sit down chats with a shrouded guy. Yeah. But even with the the abduction stuff, there was some sort of, I mean, there was a lot of symbolic <laughs> stuff for him, but there was an element of literal conversation happening too. Yeah. Do you have elements of literal conversation? And if you do, um, has that, well, I'll just ask you that first. Have you had elements of that? Um, I've had communication. Um, I, I, I can remember part of the lesson that I had, which I also wrote about in the book. Um, but I, don't, I haven't had anything like Jeff with the shrouded man talking in that kind of, you know, giving of information in that kind of conversational way. I, I have had, uh, yeah, I, I can remember being in a lesson where we were learning about electricity uh, or sort of energy um, and how you can sort of control energy in your body and things like that. Um, but very fragmentary memories because a lot of my memories of my experiences are just fragments. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had, sort of various fragments of that that I kind of pieced together and wrote about in the book. Um, but I, I don't have long sort of conversation memories like, like Jeff did with the, with the shrouded man. Mine, mine, I think my memory, for some reason, I, my memory doesn't hold on to the experiences very well. And I just am left with fragmentary, a lot of fragmentary memories. So that's more what I've had. I guess what I'm just what I'm wondering, and maybe if it hasn't been conversational, is there even any mm-hmm. symbolic or anything that you intuit as uh, a change or an, an affirmation or something? Because you went from no hypnosis to hypnosis, which changed yeah. what you thought was going on back out of that. Yeah. And I'm wondering if the phenomenon gives you <laughs> any indication of, yeah, thank God you did that because that was crazy or no, that was real. You should go back to that. Um, no, I haven't had any sense of that at all. But I think what I feel is, is that the phenomenon just continued. Um, and, and I think it was operating while I was hypnotized, but also while I'm not hypnotized and when I'm asleep, I, I feel that it goes across all states of consciousness. Um, so I, my kind of sense of it is, is that, it was just still happening as normal during that period when I was being hypnotized, but it was happening before then and after then. And I I, I kind of feel that whatever state of consciousness I'm in, the phenomenon is potentially always there. Um, 
Yeah. Have you I thought mean, about I, what that means? Because, like, yeah. what, as you're saying that, that means that that it's sort of ambivalent about your personal state of mind. Like, whatever it's doing, it doesn't yeah. matter how you personally feel about it or how you're interpreting it or how even crazy you're being driven by somebody else about yeah. it. There's, yeah. It's just chugging along like a machine almost or something. Yeah, yeah. And I think, yeah, and no matter where where you live, no matter what's going on in your life, um, you could be going through some kind of crisis, you could be very happy and at peace. <laughs> um, it's just sort of always there. Um, yeah, it's like what's happening with you isn't. Um, although I do think it may increase um, at times of, a bit like George Hansen's trickster theory, I do think it does increase a bit. Um, like when I began started my relationship with my husband, I think there was a slight increase, um, but maybe just very slightly. Yeah. Um, so, so do you, do you feel like in when you're in a paranormal situation, like you're being shown something, like oh here, look at you know, look what you can do with light or whatever it is, whatever yeah. the supposed teaching is. Do you think that that's a real teaching? I don't know. I've thought about that a lot. And I actually felt a bit embarrassed writing it in the book because I, I wrote, you know, what we learned. And I know it could be complete nonsense because, you know, I'm not a scientist. <laughs> you know, it could be absolute nonsense, you know, what what I remembered about it. Um, or maybe it, it had has reality to it. I don't know. But then, you know, is it teaching or are you just a hamster, you know, like, being trained to do something to so that they can see how you do it or who who knows i don't really um have a sense of my my experience of it is that it was a lesson and we were learning stuff but whether that is actually what was going on um i don't know i haven't sort of come down on any you know conclusion on it it's yeah and is your state of mind, or not your state of mind, but your feeling when you're in the situation, like I've had the situation where I go from terror to what feels like it must be sed sedation of some sort. Yeah. Do you have something like that? And then, of course, the ability mm. afterward to intellectually sort of look back at it that I probably yeah. don't have in the situation. Do you have something yeah. similar to that? Or are you yes. in this of the same mind all the way through? Yeah, no, I've had that. In fact, um, <clears throat> I wrote about that in the book as well. And I think when I was f about five, um, I saw a being in my room and I was really scared. Um, and then his eyes were like reaching out to me across the room. And then he came and he put his face up to mine and was looking in my eyes. And then it's like I wasn't afraid anymore. Um, and I do think that... I was somehow made, you know, not not afraid anymore. Um, so, yeah, I do feel that there might be a sedating or something that helps to take away the fear um, yeah. in some of the events, yeah. I just did uh, Where Did the Road Go last night. I recorded that show with uh, Soraya Asgath, and uh -huh. uh, he told me a little story of his that yeah. I thought was so perfect, <laughs> like, per like, and I laughed abruptly. And I don't think, I don't, it was clear, it's clear to me, I think anyone who listens to it, it'll be clear to them that he didn't get what the joke was, I guess, even as it was going on. But essentially, he was asleep, 
and somebody yelled in his ear, somebody's in the house. Right. And it scared the crap out of him. And he got up and he started looking around and there was no one in the house. And then he started uh, thinking to himself, well, you know, there's no one in the house. I mean, is this, you know, and I'm thinking like, no, like I'm laughing and I'm like, no, the answer is there's someone in your ear yelling. There's someone in the house. They mean them. Yeah. Like, that's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, like, that's yeah. like ghosts punking you. That is total trickster, you know? Yeah. It it's is. just, it's funny to me how like we don't put certain things that seem obvious together a lot of the time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Even though he was certain it wasn't like his own voice, it was an outside voice. Yeah. Like it didn't even yeah. dawn on him to be afraid that there was like a ghost yeah. in his ear or something. Yeah. And I actually think that it, it does affect your um your sort of mental abilities to kind of like even when I turned around and saw that woman in the in the white gown in the hall, it, it was only when I saw the door shut that I realized that there was something that it was anomalous. Yeah, that's um, weird, right? Like that's yeah. kind of why I bring it up because when you said she went around the corner or whatever and you, you were just thinking like, well, nothing nothing untoward is yeah. happening. It's like, well, wait a yeah. minute. You've got a full yeah. body apparition floating yeah. through your house. Uh, yeah. I think it does does affect your your brain in some way that you can't um process it. Um and I have actually wondered whether that might be why it um affects your memory because I think possibly you actually have to process um information to a certain extent in order to be able to encode it into memory um so yeah no it, it's it's interesting one thing i've been toying with lately is just the idea that all experiences probably have uh an element to them that calls attention to the fact that the literal thing you think is it is about isn't right. and so so it keeps it absurd even for the experiencer. And maybe that's an example, just the fact that of the disconnect between like there's an apparition in my house and and I don't yeah. care and, until the door yeah. shuts. And I'm like, wait a minute. But do you find that like if you like take a microscope to any of your more blatant, bigger experiences, is there something off about them where you're like, wait a minute? Yeah. How is that? How is that possible? Yeah. And I think with quite a lot of them actually, um, just sort of aspects like another thing I had in the book was when with, I was with my uh, first husband and we drove across country um, and then he just suddenly turned off and started driving up this hill um, and we didn't know why you know, why it was happening. We didn't speak to each other. Um, and then we were driving for quite a while and yet it was a really short distance to the top and it's like, we couldn't, we should have been able to drive up to the top in, in just a few minutes, but we were just driving and driving and driving. Um, and that it just, just didn't make sense. You know, looking back, it just didn't make sense. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think there is that kind of strange aspect to some of the experiences where things are happening that are kind of a bit illogical or they just don't make sense and yet they're kind of happening. Um, in the moment. Um, yeah, I have noticed that. So do you think whether you know what the meaning is or not, do you think there is one behind all of this, a reason, a meaning? Um, probably I would guess. Um, I just see us as like little animals on a planet. Um, and we're quite early 
we've, we've only recently evolved, you know, and humans have got a long timeline stretching into the future and we're kind of near the beginning of it. And our knowledge about our environment is really limited, must be really limited if you look at the timeline as a whole. Um, and so even in terms of what we can understand, I think um, we're so limited. So it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, millennia you know ahead um we know an awful lot more about what's going on and and but also that there may be aspect you know it may be something that we can never ever know um it's just beyond us but i wouldn't surprise me if there is some kind of yeah possible meaning to it well has it Um, uh changed you like do you feel as though you've evolved or devolved because of uh, your experiences? Yeah, I feel like I'm a better person. I feel like if I didn't have these experiences, I would probably be quite a sceptical person. Um, And I feel like it's made me a lot more open-minded, a lot more tolerant. Um, um, Yeah, just very aware that we don't know much um, at all about reality um, and that there's a huge vast amount of knowledge you know yet to come our way and probably much beyond that as well and I think it's just made me a much better person because of it. Do you feel like you were cheated out of anything from the Jacobs years or looking back uh, have you made something better for yourself because of it? Um. It was a traumatic experience. I still have a bit of PTSD from it, I think. Um, But even if you have a traumatic experience, you do learn things. I learned things about myself. Um, So, yeah, I mean, you take the good with the bad. And it was a horrible experience. I wish I hadn't gone through it, but I did. Um, And I did get things from it. You know, I, I... was character building and um yeah i learned some things about myself and i also met you know really nice people in the ufo field like you and jeff and you know all the other the nice people that i've met and sort of very interesting people with very interesting ideas um and i probably wouldn't have had any contact with 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 you guys you know if that hadn't had happened so i mean it has brought Um, good things into my life and certainly expanded my whole kind of view of the phenomenon and really helped me understand my own experiences um, just by the kind of contact I've had with, you know, people who've who've thought a lot about it, like you and Jeff were, um, had quite a major influence on my kind of approach to it, really helped me to look at it in completely different ways um, so, so yeah, it's sort of one of those things. Oh, well, I was fishing for compliments, so thank you. <laughs> uh, were you? Um, what were you? What were you thinking about it prior to when, when your therapist said, "Okay, I've got to contact somebody to get you help with this"? What was the mm-hmm. problem? What, were you having just these undefined scary experiences that you had no answer for or or what was it that a therapist sought out help for you in the first place um he wanted um because a therapist see um supervisors who help them um to make sure that they're 
working with their um, clients in the best way possible to help the client. Um, so, but he realised that he couldn't get that type of feedback and assistance from a supervisor or colleagues because it's so stigmatised in over here that he couldn't even, he, he tried to raise it with some people and he realised very quickly it just wasn't going to fly. Um, so he realised that he wasn't going to get that type of assistance that a therapist normally gets um, when, when Why did you need quiet. assistance? Like, did you, were um, you scared? It was, no, it was for, it was actually for him huh. um, because it's not in New Zealand, it's normal practice for a therapist to have a supervisor. They call it a supervisor. Um, and that they then talk with them about the clients that they're helping and the supervisors experienced and will be making sure and helping them of, you know, giving them ideas and feedback on and how to help their client. Um, and he, that was something that he couldn't get for me. So Jacobs had a um, page on his website where he said that he provided information for therapists to help them with their clients. And so that was actually why my therapist um, contacted Jacobs. Um, and then Jacobs sent over some information. Um, and then um, Jacob sent over his um, phone number and said that I could call him and then I kind of got in touch with Jacob that way but it, the, the, yeah the reason that he contacted him was to just to get a packet of information that Jacob said that he would give to therapists because mm. my therapist obviously had you know didn't he wanted to know that he was supporting me and helping me the best way that he could so yeah. oh, that's interesting yeah I, I mean I asked because I just remember just flashed on the fact that back in college, I went to therapy um, specifically for this stuff because yeah. it was bothering me, even though I was doing the whole sort of, you know, I don't know if you want to call it a hero's journey, but the sort of the exploratory, yeah. I took the exploratory angle of a yeah. Whitley Strieber of like, we don't know <laughs> what this is. You've got to have a dark night of the soul, but it seemed like still there was some aspect of it that was so, frightening and making me paranoid that that I needed help and you know couldn't yeah. be completely in control <laughs> the way I yeah. the way I wish I were uh and so yeah. I don't know I feel like that's an unexplored maybe aspect but or maybe it's just me I don't know of just like on the one hand feeling like I've got this but on the other hand crying for help yes yeah 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 and I mean I did I mean that's I was talking to my therapist about it um <clears throat> so I was kind of doing a similar thing um and he was I mean he was the one who suggested that I actually start to record all my my experiences and and he suggested that I write a history of them and that was mainly as a way that I could sort of get a handle on them and understand them and then just sort of get control of them in my life so yeah I think I think probably a lot of experiences because it, it's it's quite hard. There's not there are not a lot of places in in sort of modern Western society where you can sort of go and get advice or help or feed you know with this kind of thing. You kind of by definition you're kind of going to fringe areas anyway. So it's yeah, it's not easy. I think for for experiences to get help. Um, yeah. Hmm. Well, we only have a few minutes left, so I just want to thank you right here uh, for keeping on, keeping on, fighting the good fight, writing the books, bringing the fact of um, you know bad 
pseudotherapy uh, up again as a topic. You know, it always wants to go away. Nobody really wants to deal with this, but you've you've shined a spotlight on it again in a way that people seem to finally be paying attention to um, in a positive way. So that's on you this time. <laughs> nice work. Well, thank you. And thank you. I mean, you, you've been a huge part of it. I mean, you and Jeff were, um, were just amazing in, in what you did. Um, and with the Paratokyo shows, I mean, yeah, really groundbreaking stuff. So um, not just for the Jacobs, but with the whole hypnosis thing as well. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. Thanks. Really Is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to? Um, no. no okay. was, yeah. I guess I'll just tease this, since by the time this airs, the cat will be out of the bag. Uh, sorry, Carol, my wife, who loves cats. Probably cat out of the bag is something I should not use anymore. <laughs> but uh, that I will be hosting Dreamlight, and you have agreed to co-host an episode with me at some point next year if we can find a guest that we both want to, uh, you know, explore these topics with. Yes. Yeah, that's going to be really, really good, really interesting. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Well, thank you for asking me. It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be cool. All right. Well, I look forward to that and uh, have yourself a, well, I don't know. This is a Halloween special. Do you even have Halloween there? (laughs) Um, We do. We're starting to. Every year it gets a bit more Halloween-y. We're sort of being influenced now. (laughs) Okay. Well, then have a happy Halloween. (laughs) Yeah, you too. Yeah. And thank you. Okay, before we roll on out of here, tell us where we can find you on the web and find your books. Um, Yes, my website is emmawoodsbooks.com and my book is on there. Um, I've also got some media videos, photos, audio clips, um, images to do with the book on there. And I've also got um, an archive on there with a lot of information about um, David Jacobs and Bud Hopkins. Um, Yeah. Yes, go explore it. It is meaty, and uh, you will grit your teeth. So, <laughs> if if you have any sense of humanity, um, but definitely get Emma's book, "Glimpses of Magonia." Uh, support this woman. You know, she's she's been brave for years for us, and it's time to give back. Right after these messages. We'll be back to your dream. You're listening to the Platinum Standard in Paranormal Talk, Paratopia, with Jeff Ritzman and Jeremy Vaney. All right, that's that story. Now, let's give it the Paratopia treatment. Um, In my book, Aliens, the first and final disclosure, um, the, the heart of the book is really about how we're not ready for disclosure until we disclose ourselves to ourselves. How dare we talk about an alien other? Um, If we're not at our peak performance, how can we meet advanced people? You know, like this kind of thing, but also like, isn't it just good advice to know thyself, to understand thyself and to figure out whether what we call human nature is a cop out so that we can continue to be crap upon the earth or, uh, you know, if there's something that you could, that some sort of transformation that needs to take place here, not a slow evolution through time, that would be part of the crap lie of human nature, but is there a snap of a finger transformation that if we just, uh, our stillness um, breaks through our bullshit? And how uh, 
Mama Earth gave us COVID, which was our opportunity to do just that, to be with ourselves, to confront the mirror, and look what happened. And so I talk about COVID as a metaphor for the alien. Essentially, we had an alien body snatchers moment. How did we do, folks? How did we do in reality? Because it's one thing, in, as we found out with, with abortion in this country, it's one thing in the abstract to say, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm, I, everyone should have to bring a pregnancy to term, including, uh, you know, like a 13-year-old rape victim. But once you take away abortion rights and there's an actual 13-year-old rape victim who is pregnant, it gets a little bit more difficult to say you've got to carry that baby to term, doesn't it? Like, we see Republicans running away from this issue left and right. And that's great to pick on them about with that issue, but really, we're all doing it in our own ways with the larger issue, which is ourselves. And in ufology, you know, we make this claim, uh, like, we in the abstract, we think, like, we we deserve to know. We have the right to know about aliens, and, and I'd love to meet an alien. Oh, I'd love to be abducted. You know, you hear that. In fact, that uh, hearing that from Oprah Winfrey on an episode where she had on Dr. John Mack and uh, two of his, I guess, patients, clients, whatever they are, uh, who are abductees, um, hearing her say words to that effect was what provoked me to write this book in the first place. I just watched this YouTube clip, and I have the little bit of transcript in the beginning of the chapter that is specifically on that. That chapter, which is like sort of the middle, toward the middle end of the book, is... Um, actually what provoked me to write a book in the first place. This idea that in the abstract, oh yes, this is how it would go, it would be fine, is completely different from the reality of it. And we now have actual concrete proof of that because we had COVID. Well, um, rather than read to you from my book uh, and, and do spoilers... I'm giving you this cougar story because it's the same thing, too. If you replace this cougar with a UFO or a chupacabra, even, but let's stick with UFO because it's more perfect in a way, this is a UFO story. You've got grainy, blurry footage of something. We all know that something's there, but we don't know what. You've got this physical trace evidence of this paw print, which could be like landing gear, right? You've got the general public scoffing at it, making fun of anyone who says they saw this thing because they don't want it to be real. And you've got the men in black, which is the USDA, you know, silently in the the shadows confirming everything we believe and yet not willing to talk about it publicly. And this is it, right? This is what it is. And much as with COVID, which was real, we have to say, like, or, or not everyone, obviously, but too many people had to say right up front, listen, uh, this isn't real. This is, you know, some sort of government conspiracy to control us with now featuring Microsoft or something. I don't know. Um, and that was ludicrous to a majority of people, not a probably a large majority, but thankfully a majority, but... Even so, given enough time, even the majority of people were like, oh, I'm so done with COVID. Uh, there's no more pandemic. I don't care. Just give me my shot and I'll take my chances. And this is real simple, folks. If we'd all just uh, done what we were supposed to do in the very beginning, we might have eradicated this thing or at least rendered it, you know, just another 
another ailment that comes and goes. But we didn't. We fought it. We we fought. We fought nature and we fought facts. And so it is here. It's like, granted, we didn't see this thing, but we know what we heard. Those people from California have seen mountain lions. They know what they saw. Um, and it's not like, it's not even as implausible as a UFO. It's literally like, we know that rich people smuggle things here sometimes, and this could be one of them, you know? So let me just back up here to when I, when I, I felt what I thought was the presence of aliens. I think, obviously, that that was this cougar. And how interesting is it that that's the feeling that I associate with aliens, like a, a top predator who doesn't belong here, something that's alien or something that just shouldn't be in this world. I mean, literally, a cougar should not be on this island. And to have intuited all of that, is pretty amazing, I think. Um, and thankfully, I, now I know I've got that intuition, so when next I feel it, I know to run. Um, but not too fast. <laughs> I don't want to show fear, even though I'm crapping myself. But that's what it feels like, even to feel like you're being watched by something like that, let alone know it, to just feel it. And yet people's response on the forum is like, we'll get a picture of it next time, we'll get a gun, we'll do like, yeah, you fumble with a camera in the presence of a large predator that, you know, is shocking because it shouldn't be here, and then there it is. You go ahead and fumble for your camera when a uh, when a lion is coming at you. I mean, really, like, again, the difference between the abstract machismo thing we think we would do and the truth couldn't be more divergent. So... When we talk about UFOs and UAP and disclosure and we harumph that we want to know the truth and all that stuff, who are you that is asking for that? You're asking to have your imagination confirmed on the shallow level that you're imagining it where you're in control of everything because nothing's actually happening. Does that make sense? I mean, literally, all you can do is ponder it and think stuff, read books and watch documentaries and ancient aliens and all that stuff and come up with your view of what this stuff is. And if you believe that something real is happening here and it's alien, or say you're an experiencer and, and you haven't come to terms with the fact that aliens doesn't make sense yet, well, maybe you think it's alien too and you want to know and you want this disclosed too. Like, But... You're forgetting that it's unidentified. It is mystery. It is perhaps unknowable, mystery with a capital M. It is definitely unknown, mystery with a lowercase m. But in your head, you've already answered it, and you've moved on. And all of that process is, is imagination that is, you know, falsely validated by the media that you consume. And... When you set up this scenario in your head in the abstract, you forget that there's that reality has real consequences, real different emotion, uh, emotional responses to things such as aliens <laughs> and so forth. These are not the same thing. To talk about an experience and to have an experience are not the same thing. 
the old spiritual ad- adage, uh, the menu is not the food. It's the same here. But not only is the menu not the food, we think that that us, as the reader of the menu, searching for food, is like, like our view of ourselves in that situation is part of the menu, is part of the imagination. Because not only do we not realize at that point that what we're talking about is mystery, we don't realize that we are a mystery, that we're a mystery unto ourselves. And because we don't realize that, we imagine how we would behave in such a situation. And we don't know. We imagine ourselves communicating with aliens or shooting them or... (laughs) You know, whatever stupid thing we imagine. Doing NAFTA with aliens. And not only do we not know what the mystery is that we are calling aliens, we don't know what we are. We are not our pinnacle, folks. And when the actuality of mystery in the form of COVID, in the form of a cougar, which brings with it intrinsically the fact that we're not in control, that's Intrinsic to mystery is you don't know what this is, therefore you're not in, you can't control it. Well, that stokes fear because this partial sense of self that we call human nature, we claim is the whole self, is really a thought construct that is essentially afraid to die, afraid of death, afraid of mystery, must answer things and live in answers. And when confronted with an actual mystery, um, has to turn it into a joke, has to turn it into, I'm the enemy for telling you this, has to turn it into, it's a hoax, it's a lie, all of that. Because the actuality is what's scary. The contemplating it in the abstract as a thing that we imagine is not scary. Because we can imagine ourselves the hero in that situation. We can picture all of our moves, what we would do in such a situation. Everyone's MacGyver, man. I dated myself again. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, me. I've dated myself to the public. Um, so I just I want to throw that out there uh, for you to mull over. It's no longer in question. We've got the evidence. COVID, cougar, global warming. Uh, go down the list, you know, all of these things that when faced with the actuality of you not being in control anymore, you not knowing what to do, instead of actually engaging that, sitting still to try to understand it, for far too many of us, our go-to move is to say it isn't real, is to give it an answer. You know, it's not real. Or give it a really unreal answer. Not just it's not real, but here comes the pandemic conspiracy. Here comes the, you know, global warming. uh, Somehow all the scientists on the planet are lying or wrong conspiracy. Someone else is trying to control you. I mean, we really should look at this government trying to control us fetish that we have. Like, that is our go-to move in all instances, isn't it? Like... People like if this cougar thing went on too long, I'm sure we would turn into like stooges for the government at some point, you know, like who put you up to this? 
Um, because then we've got an enemy and then that we can fight again in our heads in the abstract. And, uh, the real mystery that we have to address first isn't what is the alien. The mystery is who exists when that person shuts up. And, uh, and now I'm going to shut up, but not before I just make one little thing here clear. Uh, I added the bit about our argument with our friend about the cat and the cat sanctuary and all that just to, you know, like we have this argument and then suddenly this big cat shows up. Be careful what you wish for. Like I said, that is true in a lot of circumstances. I actually don't believe that has anything to do with this. I don't think this has to do with me being an experiencer. I don't think that this has to do with us creating our own reality or something like that. I only throw that in because it is interesting. Like if we were to switch this to UFOs, that would be a part of the story. It would have to figure because, you know, when you start thinking outside the box of aliens and you start thinking like trickster theory, or you start thinking Gaia theory, or you start thinking, you know, some sort of interdimensional interconnectivity, larger ecology of stuff that's invisible to us thing. Um, then the idea that whatever is this intelligence is, or, or whatever, whatever facade you are projecting into the room to interact with this, um, or it's projecting into the room through you to interact with you. Um, when you start thinking in those terms about ufology, then it does become important, those, those moments. Uh, because it may be intimately connected with me personally, or with a conversation that we had, or with Hawaii, you know, all of that sort of interactivity um, on that ethereal level may come into play. It doesn't in the case of the cougar, but it would be an element to have to look at. Like if we were to put everything on the table and say, okay, can we put all the pieces here and see what actually has to do with this uh, UFO encounter that we had and, and what doesn't, that would be one of the pieces. Anyway, that's the cougar of Kahu. Enjoy your s'mores. It goes from being an experience to some sort of ideology, and that's just how. Um, if I had, if somebody said to me, "How does humanity react the most to uh, the unknown for this kind of thing?" Like, how? What is the reaction of people? Which has often been my focus in a lot of stuff years ago. Was you know, how are people reacting to this? What is what happens to them? Where do they go with it? That's where they go with it. It becomes ideological for them. It, it does. It, the experience is lost. So, if you would uh, just, uh, I don't know, say your name, and then you know, you say sort of what Jeff, uh, what you miss most about Jeff, like either professionally or personally or both. How does that sound? Okay. Did you notice that? Uh, when you first asked me to do this, I I had to reschedule. I didn't want to do it that day. Yeah, yeah. That's because I've I had to think about it because I pushed so much of this into uh, the backyard of my mind and covered it with a tarp. I had to go back and kind of remember things that I deliberately tried to forget. <laughs> well, anyway, maybe, maybe 
keep the bad things to yourself. <laughs> yeah, well, there weren't any. That, that's easy. Huh. So, Why did you okay. have to do that? Uh, it, no, it, it kept making me sad all the time. And the thing that happened was every time something would happen with UFO stuff, and the first thing in my mind would be, gosh, I, I wonder what Jeff would think. And then you kind of envision, I should call him. And yeah. so I just, I kind of had to, I, it's just normal thing, loss, I guess. You just cope, find a way to cope. Hmm. So anyway, this is Tyler Cope John. And I came to know Jeff Ritzman by accident. It wasn't planned. It just kind of happened that we were communicating about uh, things about alien abduction. And the thing that I came to miss the most about Jeff, and I think always will, are his phone calls that would come sporadically, uh, usually uh, fairly late at night. And he'd answer the phone. Here would come this burst of energy and joy. He always had something when he called. He, he had something that he was just bursting to talk about. And it was always fun. It went oftentimes for hours. He just didn't really even realize the time had passed. Because we would, we would just go from one idea to another and just, just roll. It was so much fun, Jeremy. I just can't describe how I, I enjoyed that. Did he influence the way you think about uh, all of these paranormal shenanigans? Absolutely. Uh, both of you uh, very patiently taught me quite a bit. Uh, and Jeff was uh, one who had a lot of experience, uh, boots on the ground kind of guy. Uh, you know, sometimes he would go there and actually find out for himself. Uh, so he could convey a lot of, of knowledge. But he also was was kind enough to let me experience things on my own. There were a number of instances where he kind of hinted about how things would go with certain people. And why was he a good judge of, of what a lot of these folks would do? But he was also willing to just kind of clam up and let me find out. He didn't really want me to necessarily agree with everything he said. And there was always a possibility, I think, that he would entertain that I might find uh, something different than he did. So I, I appreciated that. But yes, he did heavily influence my thinking. Uh, he was the kind of guy that uh, I seriously would, would ask questions of. We used to email back and forth quite a bit. Uh, there was uh, quite a bit of his experience and knowledge conveyed in his emails. So I felt like I, I got brought up to speed on a lot of things in the UFO world, thanks to Jeff. All right, that's good. We'll just uh, call it there. Okay. Look how simple that was, Tyler. Thank you. It wasn't that simple. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I... I don't know how you, you cope with these things, Jeremy, but it always, for me, I'm afraid it will be the last thing I ever 
do with Jeff sort of so just push it away. Well, I think it's all too easy to become obsessed with it when it's in front of you. And the more that you get as you go along, it just becomes, you, you just become embroiled in it uh, to such a degree that it, it can be detrimental to normal life. And so really the only way to do that is to, is to gain a sort of equilibrium with it that you, um, you just step away. You do other things, you get involved in other things, and... And that's it. Um, effectually, you have to deny it in a, in, a, in a kind of a weird way. You have to deny um, the reality of it to kind of distance yourself away and really, really step back and try and look at even your own events in a different in a different way. Try to take yourself out of the equation, which isn't always easy to do. But um, you know, it, it's just like any. Just like any, you know, painting a mural. If you're painting up real close, you, you're just not getting the big picture. So if you step back and you take yourself out of it, then you can get a better idea of of uh, what you can dismiss and what you can't. And I think that helps. Well, everyone, that's just about it. But I did want to read you one thing from uh, Jeff's and my mutual friend John Randall, who is the amazing cover artist for my book, Aliens, The First and Final Disclosure. He wrote a little testimonial about Jeff, and he wanted me to read it. He says, Hi, Jer. I know you asked if anyone had memories of Jeff since Halloween is coming up. Here are some memories of Mr. Ritzman. Jeff was always working on some kind of art project. Several times we would do a live feed of him in the moment of painting a Star Wars-themed illustration. It was fun to watch and listen to his creative process. It was a treat, or trick, to see him demonstrating all the animated Halloween decorations he and Lisa would set up. Every time Halloween rolls around, I think of him. Jeff would take old, beat-up furniture, etc., and restore it to its original splendor, and, of course, his amazing work building guitars. Jeff had such a visual way of describing his experiences that you would feel like you were right there, reliving it with him. But mostly, I just remember him being a good human being. Funny, intelligent, and caring spirit. We all miss you, Jeff. And thank you, Jer, for keeping his memory alive. All the best to you, my friend, Jay. So on that note, I think this uh, spooktacular has gone on long enough. <laughs> right? Everyone bleary-eyed yet? Bleary-eared? Is that a thing? Uh, all right. Paratopia will keep chugging along all the uh, old episodes and the specials and the live shows. All of it will be released weekly. And um, I'll be doing uh, maybe another. I can think of one more special I might want to do at some point in the future, not, not anytime soon. Other than that, uh, you can always find me doing my seasonal uh, hour and doing radio show and my monthly dreamland episodes. So I strongly urge you if you have any part of you that is like, Ooh, I've always kind of wanted to sign up at unknowncountry.com, uh, go do it just to, I mean, essentially su support me. It doesn't support me financially. I'm not getting anything for it that way, but I really do feel like this is my last push to be able to bring 
different voices into these fields that are much needed and to a large audience. And I'm probably going to get a lot of pushback on some of the angles I'm going to take. And um, so if you think doing good works in ufology and paranormal fields is still worth pursuing, um, then definitely throw your support. And if you can't afford or don't want to sign up for Unknown Country, then I don't know, just drop Whitley a line and tell him how much you appreciate what I'm doing. Uh, again, not to butter me up or anything, because I don't care, other than I <laughs> I just, I'm assuming I'm going to get a lot of backlash, and I want Whitley and company to know that while that may be true, there's also a large audience for the stuff that I'm going to do. Uh, so there you go. More mystery. What am I going to do? Hmm? Well, you know my sensibilities. I think if you followed me at all, you know where this is going. Uh, all right, that's it. Thank you, everyone, for participating in this. Joe Gooch, Erica Lukes, Vuk, Soraya Asgath. I always hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Tyler Coke, John, John Randall, and of course, Emma Woods. Jeff Ritzman, wherever you are, you see that we love you. And frankly, I hope you're someplace where you don't care about that because you're having too much fun. (laughs) While the angels play harps on clouds, Jeff shreds guitar in a storm. Is that his heaven? Uh, I don't know. Probably according to this song.
and a pop-top with locks. You've got to think outside the box. And now a hymus. <laughs> Oh, you're taking it, Maya. I thought it would be over two minutes.